Now, is it form. true that uh, is it true that you had to present this title sequence as an entirely separate budget from the rest of the film? Yeah, this is one of those things that um, this to keep you on budget. They say, well, we think about doing the title sequence if you're good. So it was like a bra It was like a. If the movie's good, you can rise up from the fierce sound of the brain. If it's bad, <laughs> it's white titles against black. <laughs> I remember when I first got to LA, um, before we started shooting, I say about a, a week before, uh, no, two weeks. We had two weeks rehearsal, and as a sort of introduction into the sort of mind of this film, literally, he showed me this this opening shot, which they, the computer generating sort of geniuses were working on, um, and he tried to explain the sort of tracking shot starting in the motor neurons of the brain and tracking out until eventually you get to the barrel of the gun, which you're going to see in a second. Anyway, it was sort of mind-blowing, and I, I did sort of... It did indicate to me that this person had a intense, amazing visual imagination. It was a glimpse into, into the mind and visual imagination of, of Fincher. Then I sort of knew that, well, I could just sort of trust him and... Uh, I was in good hands. And that was the case with most of the film, in that he has such a specific vision, David, that I knew that I could just relax because he'd be doing half the work for me, i.e. in the composition of shots or the way he saw the character, added to which he thought he was Marla. So I thought, well, all I needed to do was really copy him. And I'm not completely joking about him thinking he was Marla. Uh, certainly he got the tone of her or understood the tone of her. So I did, I would say, partially base the character on, on David. It's a little dark, Fincher. Sorry. <laughs> I, I have a philosophy that m in most movies, you can see too much of the actor's eyes. So we tried to really get rid of that in this movie. Sort of the Gordon Willis approach. Yeah. Now, I don't remember doing this shot. <laughs> <laughs> How did you drop the camera like that? How did you go through the bullet hole? Uh, As you're going uh, through the van on the street and whipping along in the foundation of the other building, if you go frame by frame, you'll see the rooms. Yeah, there's and one room. There's a, a, a janitor's like uh, office. And you'll see the intricate work done by people who have basically never left offices, <laughs> much like that janitor's office, where they live in front of their computer screens. Now, that's the enduring image of the movie to me, my face and Bob's chest. Big moosey slobbering all over. Meatloaf gave me a picture of of me against his breast in a frame that said, "With hugs, love meat." Bob's testicles were removed, then hormone therapy. I'm actually taller than Meatloaf, so he had these enormous elevator lift shoes on that gave him about an extra eight inches. When Meat came in, uh, I didn't really recognize him because his hair was all cut short already from uh, another movie. And he, and he came in, and it was kind of hard to believe it was him. But he was, he, was, uh, he was great from the first reading. He was really, really great, really funny. With insomnia, Starbucks. Starbucks was very, very cool with us. They were cool. Us, letting us do all that stuff except actually have a Starbucks. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there was our first little blip, by the way, for those of you looking. Subliminal Brad number one. That was one. the first subliminal Tyler number one, one frame. These were the first week of shooting, by the way. The office scenes. These office scenes were the first week of shooting. Brad was still on vacation. <laughs> I was working then. Zach Grenier. Zach, woo! You want me to deprioritize my current reports yeah. until you 
buys a status upgrade. Make these your primary action items. So funny, business vernacular. Everyone seems to know what they're talking about. This is brave. You don't see a lot of no, that's scenes disgusting. in movies where guys have their pants all the way down around their ankles. And I didn't have anything on underneath either. You didn't? Mm -mm. I wasn't. Right? I wasn't wearing like a, you know, a thong. Not for this scene. In fact, did you notice that I didn't ask to go to the bathroom that whole day? <laughs> this is the shot. Actually, Fincher, do you remember when we were doing this shot? And we watched it on the take. You said you have to come in very precisely, and you can't like you have to come in and you have to be at a perfect pace. And we watched it on the monitor, and 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 someone said Norton resembles young Baryshnikov. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> we used to read pornography. Now it was the Horchow collection. It was always kind of a challenge doing the especially the early part of this movie. Well, really all through the movie because the voiceover really goes all through it, but a lot of times we were shooting shots knowing that the voiceover was running over it and you have to time the sync of the voiceover uh, fairly closely, especially in moments like that where uh, a voiceover line comes in between two lines in the scene. Sometimes we had Dina Waxman, our script supervisor, sitting off stage, like quietly reading the voiceover lines in the spaces where they were going to be so that we would do the timing of them, of the actual lines right. Subliminal. Pink. I love using a subliminal advertising technique to introduce a character. Actually, we did get we when we were doing the transfer um, of the film. We we you know they send as we finish the reels out, they'll send them out to be quality checked and quality controlled, and we did get a lot of notes back that there was some dirt on some of the frames. <laughs> really? Yeah. Big discussions about this section about. You know, the balance of humor and reality, and we're dealing with something that, that, that there are people walking around with and living with and dealing with, and finding that line of, of empathy and still finding the, the, the irony within. Thank God, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad for her. This is the kind of scene that, uh, I don't know, only people with no sense of humor saw as negative. Everyone, let's thank Thomas for sharing himself with us. Here's one of the first clues of, of uh, who Tyler really is. Because uh, he repeats these words right here. I look around this room and I see a lot of men, dot, dot, dot. All this was shot, a lot of it was shot downtown in Los Angeles. Spaces that don't look like any place in particular. And I think kind of the idea was to have a city that's everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> Meatloaf had just been <laughs> a decade losing all this weight, and he gets a job where he's got to be fat guy again, and so they have to build this fat suit for him. And you know there were two suits invented, right? Two suits made uh, because of the studio. One with nipples, one sans nipples. And I remember the uh, the first week of shooting, we the only response that we got from the studio about things that they liked or didn't like, they w sent us a memo basically saying, well, is it necessary that he have these giant dustbin <laughs> nipples? <laughs> dustbin lid nipples. And I was driving I was driving down Beverly, and I looked over, and there's this woman 
asleep, this homeless woman asleep in this uh, in, a, in a bus shelter, and I looked over and she had these giant nipples poking <laughs> through it, and I was like, you got to get a picture of this person and send it to Laura. <laughs> I think you should have quoted Larry Flint and just said, complain to the manufacturer. Looking at this sh shot, I did a shot once with um, with meatloaf that wasn't in. It was a shame because I had to cry, and you always think when you have to summon up tears and then it's not in, you think, oh, what a shame after all that effort. And in fact, we reshot it twice. But I think it was more to do it didn't didn't really match uh, or suit the introduction of Marla, much as I like nestling into Meatloaf's breasts. I felt pretty bonded to Brad and Fincher, and just in terms of that it was in essence a you know a comedy or a black comedy with a heavy element of satire in it, you know, so that you know in these kinds of scenes the support group scenes are are emblematic of that because if you didn't approach these with a certain tongue-in-cheek kind of black comedy then you know you'd just be missing the point I think. I think Marla definitely if it was not for Marla Tyler would not be engendered and that the need to invent Tyler comes from meeting Marla or um, in confronting Marla and somebody who he could possibly have a, a relationship with he's too scared and retreats and invents this character that he feels could have a relationship rather than himself. That's when they were saying, uh, thank you, Travis. Yeah. Which was... Uh, An ode to Travis Bickle. Right. There was a period where I was going to have all of the fake names that he uses be names from De Niro characters in the 70s. Prior to that, it was, it was all names from Planet of the Apes. I had Travis yeah, and Rupert. Right. But there's also, remember, we were Cornelius. Cornelius in there. But then Doctors Cornelius got in, and then... And then and then we ended up in the sickle cell anemia group. Luther got in there, remember? Yeah, that's right. So, so it ended up sort of a melange between, between De Niro performances of the 70s and the Planet of the Apes. I think it's a great sort of end-of-the-century character, a guy who's addicted to self-help groups and support groups. Christina, the, the girl playing the support group leader there, the person doing the guided meditation is an old friend of mine from New York theater days. She and I were in a lot of plays in New York together. I remember the first time I met with the Dust Brothers, they, um, we walked away, I basically said, this is sort of what we want to do, we want to do it, and here's the script, and you guys, and they were just like, cool. And they like offered nothing back, it was just like, because they were just, you know, they were just... Stoned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, everybody was terrified of them because they'd never done anything before and I was like no that's exactly what we want we cannot have somebody do the music for this movie who's ever done it before because they will just it'll freak them out trying to thematically them out that's how you practice. little delicate turns and twists and really filled the thing in she's phenomenal Helena's got such big cheekbones you have to wonder if it looks like her cheeks are touching in the middle of her mouth one of the things I always hated about Helena's hair and so these little strands always came into her eyes and they were so distracting because you always want to look right. at her eyes. She has some amazing eyes. But it became this little tension thing because it was like they were always sort of dangling. She blinks and they move. I love the little couple in the back there. Yeah. A little overacting. <laughs> always. <clears throat> With matching skinheads. Yeah. I like her little, um, I like her little Coke ring. Oh, they're good, aren't they? Yeah. Look at them. A little flower ring for hiding your... Your bindle. Actually, in the Fight Club catalog, that was one of the most hilarious ones. That was actually one of my favorite marketing tools. Was the, the Fight Club catalog? Beautiful. It was genius. I'm holding on to mine. <laughs> one thing, one costume decision, which was made very early on, principally because David said to Michael Kaplan, who's a fantastic costume designer, 
as soon as she gets here, make her taller, because the guys are about six foot, and I'm about, I'd say, five foot three. I'm approaching a dwarf. Uh, so I wore these platforms, which I loved, because anything to help lengthen the leg. But I uh, was fast regretting it after doing about a marathon, walking up and down that, that street uh, after about 36 takes. So most of the time, I must say, might be a bit disillusioning. A lot of the time, I'm thinking about my feet. This is one of those things, you know, when you shoot these walk and talks with Steadicam on the streets, it always ends up being a disaster in terms of sound. And I don't know who is doing our, uh, our transfers of our, our tape every day, but they just sounded horrible. So we went in and looped the whole thing. And I remember Edward just going, oh, this is crazy. I can't do this. I can't. And, and this scene whole, here, too. Yeah. You spent at least a day on that scene, getting I, it all right. And then when we finally got to the mixing stage, David Parker did all the dialogue stuff played it back for me it just sounded amazing so we just went with it it's a production track yeah but actually i think the 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 adr tracks were really great but uh but it was amazing to hear the productions finally go wow this is great let's go with it what are you selling those yes i'm selling i remember one take when we did that and i thought i'd actually fully stepped on um edward's foot because his reaction was so realistic. It was going rather well for Edward, and I hadn't stepped on his foot at all. Try to slip it by me, eh? Look, we're going to split it, OK? Take the first and third Sunday of the month. I think what so attracted me to the part of Marla was that I was sort of amazed that David was so sort of uh, specific about wanting me, and yet um, there was nothing that I'd done hitherto that would suggest that I was right for it. Having said that, like, as a as a you know film watcher myself the casting that excites me most is seeing people being given the chance to transform themselves i remember we were shooting this scene she's on the street she almost got hit by a car we, we shot that twice we shot this scene you reshot that and we i wasn't there the second time yeah the stunt guys no 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 no, no stunt guys no nope. because the camera well, was out on the street with her you <laughs> guys are renegades you were on the sidewalk pussy boy <laughs> <laughs> but literally, we you know, our life. I mean, it's it's enough that she has the problem of like not knowing which way to look when she steps off the curb anyway. But you know, we right. had all these stunt drivers, and she because was, she's British, <laughs> she would step out into traffic like, and I would tell her just be fearless, don't worry about it, and she would just step right out there. And cars, you could hear like the clack of like the buttons on her coat as it hit these cars as they oh would zip God. by. You wake up at O'Hare, Dallas, Fort Worth. BWI, Pacific Mountain Central. Louisiana. We actually, when we shot the, the the car by the side of the road, that was the um, out in Marina del Rey right. at the uh, at the frog conservation area that was supposed to be DreamWorks. <laughs> what? That's right. <laughs> hey, now do you remember when we were doing this shot? Remember, this is Brad's uh, first Brad's non-subliminal appearance. But do you remember when we were shooting that and they tried to they tried to back blade. the moving sidewalk up and they couldn't stop it and the whole entire camera unit like jammed That's up right. against the back and Conrad almost got his our camera operator almost got crushed. Shampoo conditioner combos, sample package mouthwash, tiny bars of soap. The people I meet on each flight, their single serving friends. Between takeoff and landing, we have our time together. That's all we get. For those of you looking in that little hotel video, it is Brad on the right in the line of waiters. Gracias, gracias. You know, no one has ever caught that. No one has ever come up to me and caught that. I wanted to do, uh, you know, those, those little infomercials when you check into your room and you have to, they show you the fire exits and you, you see the guy in the 
elevated and the elevator stops and there's smoke coming through and then he puts a towel down at the base, the wet towel and all that. I wanted to do one of those, but we just didn't have time. So it was reduced down to that, but it's it, it's pretty pure. And not even in the middle, off to the side. If you read Richard Schickel's biography of Brando, this guy who writes for Time magazine, you know, he talks about seeing the wild one and how the wild one was one of the cinema experiences for him as a youth because it was about youth anger and, and Brando saying, you know, what are you rebelling against, what do you got, and how all the critics and all the parents were saying this is subversive and an incitement to violence and all this stuff, and he felt this complete thrill of identification with it. And, and if you read his review of Fight Club, it's just like, it's a guy who, you know, is completely incapable of recognizing another wave of zeitgeist film, you know? I mean, he can't, he's, he's incapable of seeing the same potential because he's on the other end of the generational spectrum. Now watch this shot coming up. Boom. The stewardess gets, see, I was trying so hard to keep my eyes open, but Fincher kept blowing this air cannon into my eyes. I thought I should have this serene look of fascination. Well, you should have. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought I did pretty well, considering the 200 pounds per square inch that was blowing onto my naked eyeball. I would say that was pretty much your opus right there. <laughs> Listen, if they can cut the flap, cut your cornea and flap it up, you could sit through a shot like sure, that. Sure, sure. If we give him a Darvisset drip. That's right. Want to switch seats? No, I'm not sure. I'm the man. This is my, I love the way this scene was written. I just thought this, the yeah, Jimmy Wolf wrote this. It's so funny. Right here, I knew. This was yeah. done this about three in the morning, two in the morning. It's one of those eighteen-hour days. N not, not to take credit away from Jim Yules, who did a great job adapting this, but, but this is very faithful to the book. Well, except this scene doesn't exist in the book. Oh, is this one of the ones that's not? This in the is book? completely fabricated. Oh, oh, well, you're right. Because right. originally they meet on a nude beach. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's which right. Which no, that's right. In the book, lied. they meet. <laughs> Brad fought hard to keep that. Making the prehistoric sundial. Yeah, with the, the Stonehenge hand. Stonehenge sundial. Right. In the book, in the book, Tyler's making a sundial. Out Anything of it. with nudity, I'm always full. <laughs> body on the beach. That's right. This isn't in the book. The other big one is in the bar coming okay, up. Yeah. On a plane. Well, can we be naked? <laughs> I mean, what were some of the most bizarre reactions? Did you ever find yourself like actually having to defend it? No, my sister liked it. Really? Right there. My brother the, and sister loved it. Right there in the heart of the Bible Belt, really? the actual buckle. <laughs> <of> the <laughs> I love how dainty the soap is. <laughs> There's this guy wearing this like weird like soul train outfit. <laughs> and then he's got the Fred like, Siegel's packaging. Yeah. It is really interesting though, like uh, one. As a lighting thing, I mean, you guys really wash the color out because, like, like the way, I mean, Brad's hair reads like black there, you yeah. know, and mine too. That's just underexposure. It's just interesting. Inadvertent. It's so dark. I mean, I like the film, but it's, it's really dark. The most interesting single. And not just in the psychic sense. <sighs> Ouch. Fincher used to toss around sort of the Buddhist thing of you have to kill your parents and then kill your God and then kill your teacher, and I think. You know, Tyler helps Jack, you know, reject the value system of his parents, and then, and then at the end, he has to reject Tyler. If Tyler's his teacher, he has to sort of pull back, and, you know, Tyler helps him through the first steps toward enlightenment in a way, but in a way, but by the end, he has to pull away from Tyler even and define himself as separate from Tyler. I think that's one way you can look at the whole thing. I mean, Tyler's seduction is a more liberating seduction. I mean, it's, a, it's a, the seduction of, of liberating yourself from 
you know, the entombment in material possessions and all that's familiar and, and not working on an emotional level. Here's Bob. See, no, yeah, Bob. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bob. He's a friend of ours. Um, no, ancient <clears throat> friend of, of Finchois. Finchers. Good basketball. And been player. about everything you've done, right? Yeah. Designs a mean pair of sweatpants, too. He sure does. He's one of those guys you just need a room <clears throat> for uh, morale, troop morale. He is. He's the morale. Now, star. see, this was a scene that pretty much any time I saw it, got a laugh. Only someone like Ken Turan couldn't laugh at the scene like this. Use the indefinite article, a dildo, never your dildo. I don't own. <laughs> <laughs> he's subtle, baby. Yeah, he's the good. I love the whole like, scratch in the back no. of the head. I'm not here to don't judge. <laughs> we know you have a dildo, and I'm not here to judge. Now, this was power, I gotta say. I felt a little power surge ripping through LAX. With it took Brad about eight takes to be able to get that car into gear. You're <laughs> out of your mind. He did it first one. I had to keep, you had to keep getting your head turned right. <laughs> Tyler, on a you know, on sort of a philosophic, political level, he I mean, he definitely represents sort of I think a very Nietzschean impulse toward the idea of of nihilism as a practical approach. I mean, he is. It's a lot like sort of Nietzsche's Zarathustra. It's the idea that nothing can change in a positive way unless a lot of the old values are ripped down. What gets explored in this film is the idea that nihilism is a very sexy idea when you're young and feel frustrated, but that becoming mature means recognizing the practical limits and, and in some ways the hypocrisies that nihilism lends itself to. I have a funny story about uh, the night we shot this coming up right here. Okay. Now, now in the lobby of this building, there was a, a fountain which was turned off, but the water was kind of basically at floor level. And right before this shot right here, I was sort of trying to get, you know, appropriately in that mode right there, and I just turned with all those extras <laughs> around and stepped right into the fountain. And I was up to my calves in the fountain. But like fortunately, this shot, fortunately, this shot didn't have my feet in it. Literally, so like... That's outtake material, my friend. Literally, like, five or six people, crew members, just stepped in that fountain over the hall. It was just they like did? You would hear splash, 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 and somebody would go, oh, shit! <laughs> and we're like, should we put up a sign? Tell me that the pilot light... The word strength is he always knows where he wants to be within the context of the story. The drawback is sometimes uh, its planning keeps it from being fresh, in theory anyways, but the guy is just so exquisitely good that uh, he never gets in the way. Me, I'm the opposite. I let the day dictate what's going to happen, and so for me it's more of a hit and miss. The drawback for me is when I'm missing, I'm really missing. I don't have that to fall back on. I always liked that her voice, we talked about that when we were writing the script about, or, or you know, working on it, just about how her voice should trigger the explosion. Yeah. Hello. See, thematically speaking, that's good stuff. I always thought that at his moment of sort of desperation, he kind of has this impulse to call the woman, which is pretty much the impulse he should have been following all along. But she's too much like him. He awesome. sees he sees himself reflected in her too much. She's underlying themes that we we don't state, but just hating someone who's hating someone the most because they represent uh, you yourself. They reflect your lie. I astounds me this one. And so as soon as he hears that voice, he hangs up and then basically calls the other guy, who of course is his imaginary friend. So. Really, that's the moment of the beginning of true psychosis there. Although I guess he was talking to himself on the airplane. And I guess he did. I set the explosion in his apartment already. Oh, he's already done that, yeah. 
He's just not dealing with it yet. He's still in denial. So he's basically been a sick twist from the first frame of this film. Yeah. yeah. Fade in. Sick motherfucker. Goes on. I journey. actually wanted to, before we started, I was trying to get Finch to let me be the, uh, the self-help group leader. Mm. <laughs> Walk into your cave. <laughs> feminine style. So you, you created your whole, your whole alter image. We had to loop this scene. And again, it was one of those 14-hour looping days where Finch and I were getting a little slap happy. And in the last take, we're just doing some potato chips. <laughs> I just love that he grabbed that one. Now, this scene was another scene that was not in the book that was kind of a collective effort in the office. Yeah. Toss it out the window. No one cared for that. I, I love the Lorraine Bobbitt reference. It just never went over. It's one of those things that crushed me. This we kind of, this kind of this came out of a lot weeks. of uh, yeah. This kind of came out of a lot of spitballing. A lot of, of nerf basketball. A lot of nerf basketball. A wardrobe that was getting. We had a longer rehearsal period on this than any movie I've ever worked on. And we spent most of it playing basketball. <laughs> and we spent most of it shooting nerf hoops. Most films. Um, do tend to wrap things up thematically in a bow and, and let you go out of the theater knowing exactly what the message was that you were supposed to take from this. And when films that muck around in these kind of ideas resolve in some ways ambiguously and, and dump a lot of it in your lap and say, you have to sort through some of this yourself and figure out what it means to all of you, what components of it you agree with, what components of it you disagree with, you know, people get very uncomfortable. People don't like it. 500 channels, some guy's name on my underwear. Rogaine, Viagra, Olestra. Martha I loved your insistence on getting Viagra into this somehow. It was like Viagra had to be in there. It was exactly right. Your instincts were right. Thank you, man. And yours with Olestra. Olestra. A little more obscure anal leakage reference. <laughs> I knew I wanted to be in this movie the minute I heard that we were going to get to say fuck Martha Stewart in it. I was hesitant until I saw the Kmart commercials and, and I said, all right. She's I've met her. Down. She's actually a, a handsome lady and very nice. What do you guys think of Rosie O'Donnell? <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell just hated this movie. I know, it's, but you know, and no, I really, it was, that's okay. She hated. You know, it. It was you fun. know, no, no, no. But she was going. She was saying this movie disturbed me. I could not sleep for nights. It is. It 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 hit a nerve. It struck some nerve, whether she wanted to look at it or not. And that's what I think. No, yeah, but the deal was she gave away the ending on national television. Yeah, I know. It's just it's just unforgivable. I think you know the, the auxiliary tract is a good place to be bitter. What? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I mean, where else are you gonna? Because basically, basically anyone, anyone who's, anyone who's seen the movie, bought the DVD, and decided to go ahead and listen to all this is a fan or is liking it. You think so? Yeah. Or looking so. for ammunition to bring us all down. <laughs> exactly. No, just I'm just, wait. I'm just gonna assume, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna assume the positive and assume that anyone listening in here is cool. I think another thing that was um, sort of informed the whole experience of doing Fight Club for me was that I was playing a supporting character, you know, who was working 40 days over 113s and spread across that period. So it was quite difficult. I suppose one of the greater challenges was trying to remain emotionally involved and concentrated and coming in, you know, having have it, had three weeks off to do another scene and somehow, you know, resurrecting her. I'd never been asked to do that. I'd never had to sustain a performance over six months, but, you know, erratically. But that was definitely one of the sort of challenges of the job. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Let me tell you a little bit about Tyler. Yeah. Now, the casting for this. 
<laughs> Fincher appears in all his films. <laughs> With a big tan. <laughs> I don't. I don't tan well, except in a few places. Now the thing about cigarette burns in actuality is, don't they run most movies on a platter now? Yeah. So, so that it's an irrelevant joke, but it was there for posterity. Sure. There must be some theaters where they still have to switch reels. This was our first day. This is your this first day. This was my first day. Yeah, that's right. When, that's when right. This was Brad's first day. When Brad came in and we shot to like, what, two o'clock in the morning? And yeah. I think by the end of it, he was going out to get in his car and he, he had this look on his face like, oh my God, this is going to be like this. We didn't go that late. I didn't. You guys had to go on. That's no, you left pretty late. You no, left I left a little you. earlier than you. Yeah, time flies when I'm with you guys. <laughs> My mom actually justifies this whole entire movie because I warned her going in. But she, she uh, it's all all right with her because I play a character who's not really real. It's really Edward doing it, so she can sleep at night. I always like the fact that I was actually eating with the people before I turned out and broke the fourth wall. <laughs> Dunk. I love that. I think Brad is so funny there. In his choices, he's such a dangerous and sort of utterly present performer. This is a scary thought I'd rather just not think about. My um, introduction to the whole of the Fight Club scenario was over the whole Oscar period, and I was being sent lots and lots of scripts, as often happens when it's just the last time you want to read anything because you're so bulldozed by having to do 10,000 interviews. But just before sort of at some pre-Oscar party, I met Brad, and he approached me, and, and I'd read it, and I felt ambivalent feelings about it and felt that, well, it's a tricky thing for him to we discuss a sort of moral issue and whether it was responsible for the film for him to do and and he was very intelligent about it and very easy to talk to anyway we discussed it and then i met fincher i guess a week later and then was very impressed with him particularly because he was so completely unlike what i'd expected i thought i'd get a very a, you know full 150 percent testosterone sort of macho um, possibly somewhat immature adult and uh, Actually, what struck me about Fincher was he's particularly soft <laughs> and feminine, but highly articulate and persuasive individual. But I didn't need to be that persuaded because I just thought, well, between the three of them, the intelligence, the talent, and the writing is a highly literate script. You just don't get film scripts, certainly like in mainstream or, or you know, big budget films. You don't get that level of talent and intelligence. I think it's so clear that in this scene, the whole point that is articulated is not, I'm feeling shitty about all these things we've been talking about, so I want to, like, punch you in the face as a result of it, but that the point was to take the hit, that, that it was more about the receiving and the, yeah. you know, the shaking me out of my own not sort of aggression having experiences. Experience. Yeah, having the experience yourself. Even if it's difficult. This is some of our best ad living right here. We yeah. This is a little free-form interpretive dance session there, unchoreographed. I love the post-coital smoke. Yeah, it's touching. We, re lovers. we reshot that, but it didn't get used. Why? Too long? Yeah. When I first read it, it took a bit of explaining. I mean, I, I found it intensely funny in a dark way, but also felt there's a, you know, there's a message here that could be mis misunderstood admired it for its boldness, but knew that it needed careful and responsible handling because it could be taken literally. I knew it'd be controversial, I knew it'd be misunderstood, but I knew that uh, the 
position from which all the main artists were working, the director, but he said he'd been there for Edward and Brad. Like they all had the right intentions and the right the sense of they were operating from the right place. One of the most interesting things about this, the experience of this film for me was watching the, the wave of the response. Um, and I think part of what was exciting about it is that on some levels, you know, a movie like this is not for your average mainstream audience. And yet it got made by a major studio at a pretty lavish production level, which was very exciting because we, I mean, I think we knew it was gonna be provocative and saw that as the whole point. And it was interesting to watch it sort of wash across people. What's so interesting to me is so many of these critics, I mean, and, and that's not to say that in some total, I would say, you know, reading through sort of the national critiques of this film, on a, you know, through the packet, I, I would say probably 70% of them, I would think, fully went with the idea of it and, and were very supportive of its complexity. But there was that sort of reactionary 30% that were tossing around words like, this is a fascist film and, you know, this is just negative and brutalizing and all these things. And ironically, I felt like a lot of it came from the left, in a way. It came from sort of the reactionary left, which is not what you would expect. People coming up to me and saying, this movie really shook me up or it, I was thinking about it three days later, that's, that's the idea, that's the ultimate compliment. I mean, that's why you do a film like this. By the end of the first month... The whole water and electricity mixture. I'm not thrilled about it myself. <laughs> There's no electricity in that water. Uh. There's no electricity. Yet. But <clears throat> I always love the idea of uh, Tyler as this guy who just doesn't, he, he doesn't, like, bother himself with the big issues. He's standing ankle-deep in water, and he's trying to really quickly <laughs> right. get a fuse out. That, if you do it fast enough, it's like, <laughs> no. You can beat the speed of light. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, as I recall, we were semi-trashed here. It's possible. You guys were? Oh, I do remember that we kept hitting our own food truck. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. right. The balls ricocheting off the catering truck. Tonk. Rain trickled down through the plaster and the light fixtures. Everything wouldn't swelled and shrank. Everywhere were rusted nails to snag. Oh, that's a nice tribute. The oh, nice tribute to had been a bit of a shudder. We look for ways to just create our own entertainment. That's what that McGoffin came out of. Now, you were naked during this. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, fin Fincher chickened out. Unlike what are you talking actor. about? There was, the there was a great shot where Brad went past me, and I flicked my flashlight up, and we had a great shot of Brad's naked ass riding away. I got to say, it was too much. It was. It was, it was too, too much. much. There it is, right there. And, and too much. It derailed it. It was too much sensuality. Now that came from early. a real wreck. What happened was I actually wrecked before on a take, losing control, going around the corner there. And then we tried to uh, recreate it. It's never as good. It's never as good. The what? The recreation of the wreck. We could reshoot that. We Let's have no time. When does the DVD come out? If you could fight anyone, who would you fight? Now, this was a scene that got reshot. That's right, this was the scene that... Uh, yeah, we, we shot this originally on the couch. Outside. Outside in the back. And this the one was one that came out so much better the yeah. second time. So much better this time. And it was this scene that earned us the gay support. Yeah. So, while everyone else trashed us. I love the idea that they're so comfortable around each other. <laughs> right. They can bathe. It's like the guy's locker room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we still had 40 Tylers at the uh, Santa Monica Boulevard Parade. Back in a man. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people a went out for Halloween dressed as Tyler Durden. Yeah. Well, there you go. I bet too many people didn't go dressed as Ken Turan. <laughs> <laughs> this scene was verification for gays that it was saying we didn't need women and that, you know, just, it's just uh, 
I mean, this is further proof why we don't need women. It's just, it should just be the guys, right? Which, I don't know where procreation fits in in that. I always thought of this as right here. I think it's a fantastic line, but I, we always, or I certainly always took that as, uh, as in this time, given right now when we're such a mess, we got to put that on hold and work on ourselves here a bit and figure out what's up, and then we'll address the whole vagina issue. Let me say this too, and the beauty of it is, is that, you know, take what you want, run with it. I'm all for it. Now this shot was shot about four months after we finished the film as a reshoot. We'd done an original shot, but you couldn't actually see me or recognize me, it was too wide. I walked down the steps and lit that cigarette, I'd say about 36 times. <laughs> Did you see New York Times? Uh-uh, today. When? The, the Versace thing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I did see that. Her new line of clothing, her spring line of clothing is the Fight Club collection. You're kidding me. No. Really? Michael Kaplan sent it to me. For the, for the true wonks, Michael Kaplan, the costume designer, also... Extraordinary. ...did Blade Runner. Gotta start with Blade Runner. And Flashdance, which we're not sure whether we should applaud or boo him for, but he did put women all over America in leg warmers and torn sweatshirts. <laughs> That moment where you flash the teeth, yeah. that was actually between takes. Right. We were rolling the camera, and I said, wait, let me see how much blood's there. And you went, like that. Went, oh, we got to use that. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that great this intro. I love this intro to Here's Fight a good Club. shot. It's the jack-off shot. What was his name? Paul. Paul. Paul, Paul right. Great voice. Great I, answer, too. Except that every day I would turn and go, oh, Neil Young's on the set. This was a good shot. It only took about 40 times. Worth it. I'd go all week on this shot. Yep. Brad and I were talking the other day about how when we first came into these loose tavern scenes, we both looked around and went, oh my God, everyone here is like a middle-aged biker. <laughs> and we both, we both found out we independently went to you and said, you know, we really should get a couple more... Uh, practicing yuppies. Practicing yuppies in here. But do you see them? Yeah, no, we, we, but you did, we, we got them in and... Yeah, it did look like a biker bar. Yeah, it was a little too fringe. Okay, now I admit it, we're a little underlit here, Fincher. Stop. It's supposed to be in total darkness. That's right, that's right. Then here they come. The lights on. But there's supposed to be a little bigger difference between the lights being off and the lights being on. I, I remember you getting a little agitated that day when it was supposed to be this big shagung and nothing was really happening. Yeah. <laughs> Click. Yeah, it's like nightlight went on. Remember, remember, uh, we played with the idea of having me lip syncing with Brad on these, or yeah. just subtly. We shot one like that. Um, when I first um, had my first interview with Finch, I did sort of have huge reservations because I'm not particularly pro-violence on film, particularly not when it's gratuitous. Having said that, since the whole film was about fighting and the mentality behind it, it could hardly seem gratuitous. But watching it and also discussing it with Fincher. As a woman, I thought it was a real keyhole glimpse into what it means to men and the need to fight. And not so much to inflict in violence, but to take it. And it isn't so specifically about violence for violence sake, but it's more to do with the sensation of feeling alive. I mean, it's a desperate statement to say about society that people have got become so benumbed and so dead spiritually and emotionally that they have to hit themselves in order to feel truly in the moment.
It's the same sort of psychology as any kind of addiction or any kind of self-destructiveness that people need to inflict pain on themselves to try and obliterate the other kind of psychological pain they might be suffering from. I said to Fincher when um, the first time I read the book, uh, I called him and I just said, you know, if we get this right or if we get the tone of this right, it, it'll be like The Graduate, you know, which it seems like a strange comparison because obviously none of the specifics are similar at all. Um, in terms of the context, but you know, if all stories are the same in the end, or if or if there's really only a few core stories, I think this is kind of just like the graduate. It's a story of youthful dislocation and of the feeling of sort of entering the adult world and feeling out of sync with the value system that you're expected to engage in, and trying to figure out the answer to the question of how to be happy. And I think the graduate, you know is very much about a guy who, obviously, who's out of sync with the what he's expected to, to plug into. The thing I love about The Graduate is that at the end, it's, it's so ambiguous. It's no, it's no clear-cut victory, or it's, it's not, you know, that they're smiling and heading off on the bus together and you know they're going to be happy forever. It's more just that there's sort of a feeling, I'm not quite sure what I've done here, but I think I've at least taken a step in the right direction. And, I mean, Fincher and, and Brad and I used to talk about a lot the... Um, it's a, you know, it's a story about a person finding a path to maturity or going on a journey of figuring out how to be mature. And in a similar way, this is, it, it's, not, it's not quite the same complaint, but I think it's very, this Fight Club's very much a story about a guy feeling disconnected and uh, numb in the face of the value systems, who, through Tyler, like Mrs. Robinson, goes off and, you know, and, and basically explores the his more nihilistic impulses, his his impulses toward just saying fuck you to the whole thing. We got worked up just watching these, and these fights are set, we watched them 20 takes, and you still get worked up, you can't help it. Don't know what that is, but the DNA starts moving. That's a pretty brilliant line too, because I, I, I see the exact same energy and rush that we had sitting around watching these fights as, as I, I grew up in the Bible Belt, exact same thing in a revival, that energy that takes over. And uh, people say that's God, you know, but it's the energy of the mob. And I love how Tyler's always in the background. Out of focus. Like the little devil on the shoulder. The little voice in your head. Trim your fingernails. Okay, any historical figure? It's fun, actually, to, once you have watched the movie and you know what the real underlying reality of it is um, in terms of Jack and Tyler. Uh, it's fun to watch it and think about the whole thing from Marla's perspective. Most people I know, even the ones who loved it the first time, have said that they really liked it more the second time, that they got much, much more out of it the second time. Because it's such a sad and funny portrait of a guy who's completely insane. That was my glamour shot. Um, this is when my characters OD'd on Xanax, something that I wasn't particularly familiar with myself. I remember going to the medical for insurance before doing a film, and at the end of my interview, I said, well, how many Xanax do you need to take in order to kill yourself? And she did look at me a bit oddly. Then I explained, of course, it was for, for a role. All right, here, I was supposed to be back there doing some kind of sit-ups or something. I, I don't know how the martial arts started getting worked in, but this was the first moment. And just asked if anyone knew any nunchucks, had any nunchuck moves. And one guy showed us a little move and doing absolutely nothing there that makes any sense. But 
from the distance, it looks like someone know what I'm doing. This isn't a for real suicide. But I love all that falling into frames. She's always, always a, a moving yeah. into frame or out of frame. You're trying to keep Marla playful, so it didn't seem like, even though she's, you know, the kind of fashionable nihilist, there's something kind of <laughs> playful about her. And this is a shot. <clears throat> Those aren't my breasts, I hasten to add. I wish they were. Um, but this is a computer-generated shot, which consisted and demanded me and Brad's taking sort of positions in the Kama Sutra for about 12 hours uh, and have still cameras take pictures of us. We were covered in dots, uh, painted white dots, all over our bodies that the computer could recognize. They couldn't recognize our body. And then it was fed into the computer. That's Fincher's version of a sex scene. <laughs> I kept saying, I want to fly between her stomach and around her breast and under her arms and through these beads of sweat, frozen like Luke Skywalker or something. It's like, sure, Finch, whatever you want, man. I love this. The gargoyle's so great. And the wink. It's so funny to watch this movie once you know what the underlying reality is. It's really funny to watch all these scenes with her. She's so funny. She comes down, she gargles coffee, gives him a wink, you know. He's a jerk to her, and she leaves, you know? And people would get so, they would be like, oh, we hate her, we hate her, we hate her. And then yeah. the second time you see it, you feel so sorry oh, for her. Like, she's, she endures so much awfulness. <laughs> Whose robe is that? I had this roommate. This was yeah. her horrible robe. This was her ratty, rotten robe. I borrowed it for the, yeah, borrowed oh, it for the flick. No. Well, well, I remember because Andy and I come over to your house. Someone, when he comes down in that robe, he's like, what do you think? Is this Tyler? And he's got, like, the yellow sunglasses <laughs> and the Gucci loafers. And I was just like, okay, That's pack him. it up, put it in a box, send it over to the set. It was hilarious. Finches, I'm um, so funny himself, so he adds in Death Hairball. That was his idea. I just remember being feeling profoundly sick on delivering that line time after time upside down. But I love the way he shot that whole telephone sequence. Now, how could Tyler of all... The movie took about... We shot this movie... I think there was 138 days of shooting. I shot in probably 130 of them. It was definitely the longest shoot I've ever been on. I worked essentially every day of the principal photography because I think this scene right here that we're going through is actually the only 40 seconds of the film that I'm not in. <laughs> I think this was probably about the only half day I had off. Now, as you can see in this scene, it does contain a dildo, which um, I'd specified had to be uh, on the larger side for the joke to work. Bucky, who's um, an incredibly thorough prop spyer, approached me rather embarrassed one day, saying, well, <clears throat> and took me aside and, and showed me a whole range of dildos to choose from. I think I got a hamper full of dildos for my goodbye present. I love throwing Helena around. <laughs> I like the dance here. Dance always makes me laugh. <laughs> it's to throw them off. Well, what's funny about it is when you shot it, you obviously didn't have the music going. <laughs> no. But, but, it's, said, uh, but when the music's in there, it's, it's said so funny. You'd have funny. some drifting from down the hall right. or something. She's not frail either, I'll tell you that. Yeah, she's she is. just banging into this wall that yeah, the bottom so of the steps. Though. It's such a relief when a director knows what they're doing and so knows what they want.
but as I say, contributes to the characterization in the way they see it uh, and how they're going to frame you and how they're going to light you. And he has also such specific ideas about costume and um, and lighting, but down to such detail. Tyler is just all unrestrained, blunt statement of everything. There's very little beneath the surface with Tyler because he's basically just an id just charging forward, you know. He's all about the purity of impulse and expression. And I mean, I think he's almost a puckish figure, you know. He's like the spirit of mischief. And, and my character is all repressed impulses, unstated things. I mean, that's why I love the device of the voiceover that one thing gets said and then the truth gets heard inside his brain. You know, he, he can rarely say what he's really thinking. I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Having said that, the whole crew started laughing. I didn't quite get it because, again, the slight cultural difference from... I didn't know what grade school meant. I thought it was just normal school, not primary school. The original line was actually, um, I want to get pregnant, I want to have your abortion, which was then deemed as just too abominable a line. So we reshot it, and that was David's rewrite. Didn't quite find the right tone in this scene. It just reads a little frat guy. Just kind of missed the mark by a few beats. But the flashbacks and where we finish off on them, don't speak, saved it. Yeah, I promise. Promise. I just said I... I love that moment of the, uh, that's three times you promised. I love the, like, uh, little petulant stuff that... Yeah. The, the schoolboy stuff that Tyler always has. There you go. Promise. Promise. It's got a strange code. All right, this is... This is HBC and I just sitting in a room, sitting there screaming our guts out. Originally in the book, there was this whole thing about um, I am Joe's um, gallbladder. Um, it was and it was based on this Reader's Digest series that was. It was real. Yeah, it was yeah, real. Yeah, my parents remembered it. And um, we couldn't get clearance from Reader's Digest when they read the script, so we had to come up with a fake <laughs> Reader's Digest magazine, which was the annotated reader, which is what. That magazine is that you see Edward reading all the time. I love this little suggestive shot right here. Through the crack of the door. Looks like we're reinventing sex. All we're doing is flipping and jumping around on the bed. What are you doing? Gee, you look nice and bronze there. Going to bed. All for you, big boy. <laughs> Remember Elena and, and, and Venice, Helena's mother? She was the she's oh, laughing. Because yeah. we were because there's that whole the, the rubber glove scene. I remember when that was when the right. films unspooling we were getting ready, and I and I start sinking in my chair because I'm going, oh my god, Helena's mother's here, and, and Brad's gonna be half naked pulling off a rubber glove, like what would? It, and she just she was howling, she was howling with laughter. Laughter. It may have been just she was so embarrassed. I was. Uh, <laughs> was the rubber glove your idea? Yeah. I take full credit for the rubber glove. This was all in the first week, too. We can never get the, the smoker's hack from Edward. To go, I would like go up to him afterwards and go, you know, we want that kind of... <coughs> <laughs> Do it. <laughs> don't, don't look at me. It always gets laughed. Oh, I must have done it right. No, it's funny. Go live in a dilapidated house in the top... The truly sad thing is we had no qualms on these sound effects. No politeness, no little hint of embarrassment, just go. I spent so many days just coming in and uh, basically doing voice-off orgasm sounds on this film. The first time was a bit embarrassing, but I got used to it. You know, David would say, and roll, and Ed would act, and Helena, orgasm. Yes. It can make you quite dizzy um, because you can tend to hyperventilate. 
But I think I got that technique down. That was one major thing I learned on, on this film, faking orgasms repeatedly. I am Jack's cold sweat. Does this sound strange to you? What's the uh, Halloween mask on the billboard? <laughs> I, the monkey? No, it's a monkey. It's a space monkey mask. It's a Halloween. It's a Halloween card. I don't know. Oh, why. I always thought it had something to do with space monkeys. I thought it was an allusion to the monkeys. Uh, oh no, now it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what. It, yeah, that's what it was. See, that's me reading into the text. That's me bringing to the text, juicing it up. Would go and do such a thing? It's a real luxury having so many, many, many takes because you know, as I said earlier, that you'll never walk away with something without having explored every option. But there's obviously, you know, the, the challenges remaining somewhat fresh from take to take. Recently made enemies with anyone? Edward's amazingly inventive as an actor, perpetually inventive from take to take and a great improviser, always coming up with some extra funny lines, but so natural in his style, naturalistic and has such a sort of effortlessness to his acting that I just only hope that it would rub off on me, frankly. I loved every stick of furniture in... Any kind of ad-libbing or anything, that was... It was very, very occasional. I mean, Edward would be more uh, inclined to ad-lib. I never do, because I know that I'll never come up with anything better than what's written, particularly when, you, when you've got a good script. I like this shot, though, because it follows him up and then comes back. Are you saying that? What's really cool about this shot is which you don't completely get because it was intercut with the detective, but it is all one take. The coming in, the going out. Except for their humping, Tyler and Marla were never in the same room. My parents pulled this exact same act for years. Condom is the glass slipper of our generation. You slip one on and meet a stranger. You dance this, this The year that this film came out was like, a truly great year in terms of, a, I think, a real a bunch of filmmakers kind of maturing and a new wave kind of a feeling. You know, I mean, I thought with this film and being John Malkovich and Election and Three Kings um, and many others I'm not even thinking of, there was, there's just, there was American Beauty. I mean, by any standard, I thought it was a, a dynamite year and, and you get people like Ken Turan or even William Goldman writing these long essays about how there's just not anything good happening anymore and what oh for the days of so and so and so and so you know and look at what was happening in film in this year and it's just it's so cynical and so counterproductive to me it's like this year to me was as exciting a year in terms of all kinds of stuff that was happening in film as any year in a long time and you just had these guys just ranting and raving about their own obsolescence really you could literally walk all the way around this set, so this is walking, you know, leaving through one exit and coming through, you know, crossing over upstairs very quietly, not to mess up the sound, I'm and coming back down on the other side and vice versa. I, I love this. It's all one take. Pretty masterfully designed, I must say. Thank you very much. Oh, no, I designed it. Oh, right. <laughs> I love this. The song? Yes, psychotic. Gotta is get, gotta mm -hmm. get out It's actually the only, it was in the book. It's in the book. Yeah. Luckily, it's a Fox movie, so we could get clear. Oh, there. really? Yeah. How great. I was going to say, man. That was the reason I think Fox bought this. Minds, they right? bought this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They saw it as corporate synergy. We bought this book that can, so can use one of our old musical titles. She's trying to bust. Now, this shirt represents the camouflage theme in the Tyler Durden wardrobe. 
It's a little loud for most people's idea of camouflage, it's but I think it's, it's but in Tyler, the places Tyler it's hides. Uh, in in the book, of course, you never know the narrator's name, and nor do you in the movie know his name, because he's always calling himself Travis or Rupert or Cornelius. But in the end, he has to be referred to in the script, so the narrator's name in the script is Jack, because he he reads the magazine articles about the organs that are I am Jack's colon and things like that. So we we called him Jack, and I've seen uh, like on the internet, I've seen people banging around and referring to the character as Jack. So somehow that's gotten out something like that, because there's no indication in either the film or the book what his name is. I knew what his name was, of course, but Fincher asked and asked what the name was, but I would never tell him. But this is just further example of what you don't know doesn't hurt you. I mean, we eat animal fat. You think it looks any better than that? Might as well, well uh, recycle. <laughs> Such a disgusting but horribly doggy comic scene and idea. Now, Obviously, the film was based on a book, and uh, uh, but it was reinvented in this scene. But originally, it was Marla's mother's fat uh, that Marla was keeping in the fridge for, I think, to have her lips done at some point. Anyway, Tyler takes Marla's mother's fat from the fridge, and there's a fantastically funny scene in the book where Marla's outraged that Tyler should take her mother's fat without asking her, and feels so upset. How could you do this? How could you take my mother's fat without asking me? We actually changed this dialogue in order because there was an issue with the. Uh, they sent the script or they sent the scene over to the bomb squad, the LA bomb squad, and they said, "Yeah, that is the recipe for nitroglycerin, or for you know TNT. You can't." And use we don't that. want to be unleashing that knowledge. <clears throat> so we on um, the status quo. We so we we cut a couple of the instructions here. Among your responsible filmmakers, you're the most responsible I've ever met. Now the audience may not know this, but Edward and I actually learned to make soap. That's true. I remember those lessons. It was from uh, a woman who has her, her own boutique soap company in the valley called Anti Godmother. What is this? This is a chemical burn. Ah! Ah! It'll hurt more than you've ever been burned, and you will have a scar. What are you doing? Guided meditation worked for cancer. Good work. All the, everything else being so washed out, that green suddenly just pops. You Beautiful. Know? It's crazy. But I love the uh, Noah Webster reference. <laughs> the searing flesh. Oh, yeah, right. Searing <laughs> flesh. No! Don't deal with it the way those dead people do. Come on! I think you can see in this next shot of, of Edward and Helena where his right hand disappears into her crop. No, it's right. not. <laughs> Could be. Don't ruin the myth, man. Let it run. Our fathers were models for God. I love the goggles, too. The idea of playing a whole scene with hey, safety glasses. Safety first, <laughs> I always say. God does not like you. He never wanted you. In all probability. We were just talking about um, Joe Black, and that was a problem for Lonnie and I. We, kept, we fell into the same rhythms, and it just made the thing drag. He was both holding strong. This is a scene that, that in rough cut form, um, to convince my mother that she didn't want to see this movie, I ran I, this scene for her. And she was I was like, particularly worried about this scene and my parents viewing the scene. <laughs> I showed my mom the scene and she went, mmm. Well, she had this look on her face like she smelled something bad. She was like, I don't think I'll be going to the premiere of this one. It's funny, this is one of my father's favorite scenes. Really? Yeah. Your father's probably a little bit more. He's a groundbreaker. Well, he's only 37. That's all they know.
Hey, come on, give me a little Ooh. credit for that flip into the lens. Amazing yeah. flip. It's truly amazing. Good Not way. many actors can hey, pull that, that off. Hey, that and the smoke ring that comes out of your mouth at, at the, the end, end when yeah. you say, what's that smell? First smoke ring I've ever done in my life. <laughs> it's amazing. I liked this woman. The woman in the background was, we kept trying to, we had to keep moving her in position because she made the same pass at the same speed, and we always wanted to make her, we wanted to make sure that she was in frame when, when the voiceover said, we're just selling rich women their own fat asses back to them, so we continually move her mark back so right. she would be right there. I have an interesting perspective on this scene. Go. Now that we're all friends. Let we it can, rip. I, I'd like to hear Fincher's <clears throat> thing. When we did this, this was um, the first week of shooting uh, with well, the wait, You reshot this one, though, didn't you? We did, yeah. Well, we reshot and then we threw out the reshoot. Exactly. We did it, and it was, it was Wednesday, because we spent that Thursday and Friday entirely shooting me beating myself up in front of him. Right. And we shot this, and like, you know, we did it, and we did it, and we did it, and he kept telling me different things, different notes, different notes, and we were trying to just, and I was kind of getting lost. I was trying, you know, and it was the first week, and I had this perception that you were going, oh, fuck, you know, like... Where this this is not going well or something, you know what I mean? Like or that no, what it, it was, was like was, I felt it was the first it was like the first week and uh, you know we were just you get, you're, everybody's getting in the groove, you know, and it was like we kept doing this, kept doing this, and I kept thinking, geez, I feel like we have some good ones. I feel like there's you know ones I'm pretty happy with, but you seem totally unhappy. I, and then, what it was was there was a there was a and there was a neutrality to it. It wasn't as threatening because I always wanted this to be the Travis Bickle moment where, right. you, where, where the boss realizes that this guy is truly fucked up. Right. Which I and, think you do. No, you do. But remember the thing that happened. The thing that happened after we did the reshoot, which I like a lot better because it's really cold and really, really deadly, was that Columbine happened. <laughs> and so when we tested it with the reshoot in, which was much more dangerous and much right. more evil, um, all of a sudden it just was, I mean, if we had to err on the side, if we were trying to make people laugh and we wanted to get a right. laugh out of it, which we never were able to, to do because people didn't think it was funny from that moment on. Right. But uh, so we went back to the original one, which was a much more neutral kind Tragically, of like, you make up your mind. Is right. he really? Is he really deranged, See? or is he, or is he pretending? Thanks for the thought. What happened to your hand? Oh, nothing. This is a scene which obviously you view Marla in a completely different way once you've seen the rest of the film and know exactly what their relationship actually is. Seeing it the first time, you think, oh, how, um, what a lost and two-timing character she is. And not that, not that sympathetic, but, but now you realize that he's the one who's acting strange. Now, this can be seen as a sort of ploy to, to lure Edward's character, but it stems from a genuine, well, Fincher and I did agree, agree that it stemmed from a genuine fear that she had. Um, a lump. I got in such an argument with the journalist. Over, I'm trying to tell him this is a comedy. I got nowhere with him. <laughs> <laughs> it is a comedy. It's a dark comedy. It's a pitch black comedy. I, I referenced these various movies different times, but why is this any darker as a comedy than Strange Love, which is about you know, or Harold and Maude, the end of the world, or the, yeah, which is about the you know nuclear bombing of the world. I mean, it, it's. How could you rate this movie more violent than 
I John mean, Claude where, where do you begin? Doing the splits above the bullet. I mean, we were all just talking about the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does the splits yeah. to dodge I mean, a any, bullet. Any, I mean, did you see... That would be the last thing on my mind. Did you see End of Days? I mean, the carnage, the gratuitous, completely, like, for entertainment, carnage and End of Days, or even... Like we were talking about the Matrix as sort of a stylish techno, you know, experience in which the violence is literally video game violence. I mean, it, right. it is violence as aesthetic, violence as pure, consequenceless entertainment. Yeah. You know, I yeah, mean, but also, I mean, with you saw things in that film you'd never seen before. So. I, no, I'm not ragging. I'm not at all ragging on it. I'm just saying, even within the context of the films that came out this year, it surprises me that. People thought it was that the, the people picked on this one as violent per se because. Well, I think the title Fight Club didn't help us in. Yeah. No, I know, it but. Should have been Glee Club. You were right. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I mean, comparably, com- Raging Bull. Yeah, I'd uh, say no for sure. Com- I mean, comparably, you know, topic, Raging Bull has so. Raging Bull has as many explicit, you know, shots of faces beaten up by fists. You know and what I mean? And also one I mean, of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah, it's not that any. It was one of the greatest movies ever made. That helps. That's always <laughs> that. But listen, people, you ask me, I say, I say the same that. about this. I'm I, just I saying. I mean, Braveheart. Braveheart has incredible gore in it. You know what I mean? Far, way more than this. Yeah, but they ripped out his entrails at the end, so it made everything okay. <laughs> just once, we should have had Brad and Luz go. You came to fight as free men. Yeah. <laughs> free men, you are. I love that movie too. I, I did I too. I totally like it. Under I'm not picking on any movie. I'm 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 comparing and contrasting other did, good films no, that had much much more violence that nobody listen. Nobody the, raised no, the uh, nobody even raised film, the people. No, I don't even it. think that's any of it. I, I think the truth of the film is it attacks a way of life. It it attacks value systems. The status quo uh, that men have given 40 years to, and and uh, you know they can't roll over now. People can't roll over now. But it's also you know film is fashion. Let's let's face it. I mean, the fact is, is that it depends on the time of year that your movie comes out. It depends on the, you know, where, where the climate of the yeah, where mass consciousness is. But and but I is, think Brad's right though. I think it's also the fact that it was, without showing any violence, just saying certain things that have the kind of cultural violence in them. Uh, yeah. It's an assault. This is sort of the central manifesto of of Tyler's vision. And it really describes a generation which is not just male, but have an utter lack of direction and sort of have no sense of proper purpose. But this applies as, as well as to the women of this generation as well as to the men. Although I, I would say that the, the solution that they, that they find in fighting is obviously more of a male one than a female one. But that's just to say that the, the fighting is just a symptom of a much greater underlying malaise in our society that the film is uh, showing up. First rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about... What was your first connection to this? When you read the book? You, and you the, book, the book, I think you sent me the book and the script. Right. And I read the book, book. first. And you read the you book. You just sent the book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, or maybe you didn't send me the script, but I, I read the book. I think the first time I talked to you was uh, after I read it, and we were talking, and, and I could feel you kind of going, so did you think it was funny, too? <laughs> and I went, yeah, definitely, and you went, okay, good. <laughs> it's almost like, got to make sure I've got, you know, Everybody collaborators in my perversity. Yeah, exactly. And it, as long as you think it's uh, funny, it can be funny in a sick way, but as long as you think it's funny. Edward and I met up in New York. That's right. 
Yeah, you told me about right, that. Right, we at the uh, we were in a hotel bar. The same thing. And and again, I thought you know mainly the first time we talked about it, we were mainly talking over the point, things that made us laugh, you know. Nice punch. Actually, on that punch, because the reaction, there was a, that was actually a visual effects shot, Ooh, a wide God. shot, when, when uh, Edward reacts, when you get punched in the wide shot, we, uh, we had a different, we actually split screened Edward out and put him, his reaction from another take, because his eye line was, in that one, he didn't react to the punch. Oh, really? Yeah, so we split him out, we put him back in. There's a, oh, that's cool. digital technology. Oh, that's cool. I used for completely ridiculous purposes. I hate this music cue here. Really? Yeah, because I love the smacking sounds when when it's just the uh, the tie shot and he's just drilling him in the face. Well, it's definitely it's so brutal. Oh, you still get him, though. No, but to me, uh, I feel like it gets muddled here. I feel like we go... It's too much noise. Wait, there's no music? Yeah, there is. Yeah, it, it picks it up here. comes in right, right now. And then really takes off. It's like we're supposed to take notice now, and I, and I don't want to make an emphasis out of that, make it more out of you're going to pick a fight and you're going to pick a fight and lose. Oh, God, they're so... The shots are great. That was a stunt guy, and I could feel the breeze. <laughs> I could feel the breeze. Lou was a stunt guy? No, no the, the guy uh, who's punching him off. When it was oh, on the close-up shots, it was a stunt guy, and he would drill him right into my right. face and just pull him. I love Brad. I think the laugh in this scene is one of my favorite things. I think the laugh is so fun. <laughs> we get ourselves in trouble, though, don't we, with the guy... In the back, holding us up, because he'd be pounding us too. Yeah, I but I, no, I don't know. I think no, it's so spooky. He's you know, trying to pull you off. You got to get the guy off the boss. You know, you got to get the guy's barfing blood into the boss's mouth. I just you're gonna get up in the. He good, capitulates good early, and I, th I thought that's why we cut it, just because that guy couldn't be standing there holding so long. You wanted to cut this? No, no, no. It oh. was cut down. It was trimmed a little here. Yeah. There was more that we got out of him, like light bulbs and towels, but. We just we always had that question behind us with the, of the thug with the gun. So yeah. I just thought Luke capitulated uh, a little early. Well, you know what? Nah, he actually good. does. It's he scary. Actually I'm telling you, the laugh is quickly. so insane. When, he pretty much from the time you you know blood, blood down his throat. Of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And let's say he was pretty brave because that shit Peter, went in his mouth. It was amazing. I mean, the snottiest, most viscous like <laughs> fluids came out of Brad's mouth and nose and oh, ears. Nice. And just dribbled into on splattered onto his teeth, and you could see. And we shot like you know, eighteen takes. Yeah, <laughs> it was nasty. Stuart Plumberg. I love this Cadillac sales. The timing Holt has here is with the spray. <laughs> when we get to the. That's actually like, an an untimed cross. Now watch the shoe. I love the shoe. What do? He learned how to do that. Both these guys are Edward's good friends. That's Matt Winston. Another but one. right here, the timing Another on the second, yeah. the second spray. Hey, hey, man, that's fairly uncomfortable. <laughs> you can see the camera starts to bounce there because the camera operator started laughing. Ah. <laughs> oh, the there was Bible. one take where he went, "Hey, that's the Bible." That's this is actually the take we just cut out. We cut the dialogue out. In this dusties as well. Yeah. Um, actually, they found this this music from the Fiddler this, on like, the Roof. No, no should, yeah, it was. Just... It was like a it was like a Jewish folk record by these sisters. It was like the Jewish folk music version of the Andrews Sisters, and they did this whole thing. We couldn't get the rights to it because the no one could find who had the estate because they've been dead for years and years. And so we had the Dust Brothers actually re-record it. That's their voices. They did all the they're all male voices. Your unpresentable appearance. Okay, it doesn't get much better than this scene. 
I am. You no, know, that's always been voiceover up until that point. It's a I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. I should comment this. This was a major change because the this scene used to be later in the film. Yeah, we moved this. And you moved this forward. I, and I remember Brad and I were talking. No, it used to be earlier. No, later. No, it was, it was See, later. Oh, we had this debate. Okay, Brad and I were dicks. Later, it came because after this. Uh, it used to be that that no, I no no it, it was this came earlier it than came lose. before lose lose came after this okay now you no. really what yeah, yeah it lose. came before lose this used to come before lose and then you come home and say I I quit my job you're all covered with blood right and, and then he, he goes we, we got to take, take it up a notch up. and then but I thought the notch that it went up was to Project Mayhem <clears throat> not to Lou no that was the thing. no it led into lose no, it led into lose up a notch was and then the and then he lets Lou beat him, and, and then at the end of it he ground. goes, "You're going to rot." Yeah. So when we move this to make this one of the homework assignments, or to make it seem like it's one of the homework assignments, the, right. the thing that it did was you had this tension, this dramatic tension coming into it. When he says, "We have to talk," you're like, "They're going." <laughs> is he going to pick a fight with? Right. This? Well, no. I, well, I, I, I was just mistaken on the order, Brad. I you were correct. also want to say this you're one of your correct. finest hours. This scene right here. Jerry Lewis is not oh. dead. <laughs> yeah. I will, I will say that I did go through those tables in the bookshelf myself. <laughs> like too. a champ, my fiat. Yeah, there's a definite Jerry Lewis quality to it. Or, as we were commenting earlier, Harold Lloyd a little bit. Yeah. This, this part right here makes me think Harold Lloyd, the, the, the arm yanking him up. Because it really does look like there's a string. That. <laughs> That's the very Jerry Lewis moment. <laughs> I love Zach's face. He just I love checking, incredible. Wait, check, looking back, checking the Here's another clue. No, no. Now see, why does it remind him of his first fight with Tyler? Because he was beating himself up. Nice. See, now, it always frustrated me. I, my arm stayed up, so you had to cut to get him to drop. Yeah. I see that. <laughs> yeah, those hits were really good. Now see, the thing is, I remember just, it's the first time you watch a movie, oh. or at least the first time I watch a movie. Oh, now the glass on the hand is great, because yeah. I just took a little off the floor and stuck it to the fake blood on the edge of my hand. And it gets such a s scream every time oh, it appears. Oh, nice squirt, in the too, audience. on the fall. Yeah. Really, good. really good squirt, my friend. No, the, the point is, like, I mean, the first time I watched this, you know, the first time ever I watch a movie, I'm, you can't, you you are always analyzing it within the context of the changes that have been made from the way you remember it. You can't help it. And it's not for me until like the second time I see something that I can watch it on its own logic. And when I actually when we saw it at Ven in Venice that time with the crowd, it was the first time it clicked for me on how well it worked to move that scene there because because the audience laughed as soon as I walked through the door because yeah. once it's been set up in the context yeah, of exactly. pick a fight there's the tension they, they walk yeah they you walk in the, I walk in the door and everybody thinks he's going to pick a fight with the boss exactly. you know and it just got it got a huge laugh it was such such a great move yeah there's these two guys that's see that's the Cadillac salesman and the and the seminarian I am Jack's wasted life. Tyler dreamed up new homework assignments. He handed them out and sealed envelopes. I was just thinking, actually, as this is going on, it's, this is one of the only movies I've been in that I like watching. <laughs> just because it's, because you, you, for, you just forget, there's so much in it. You just forget, you know, you forget all the little things that were in it. And, uh, and it's so visually interesting. 
There's so much. There's so much funny stuff going on in it. The first car we slammed was a Range Rover, then the second one was a BMW, and then at the end here, it's a new Volkswagen Bug. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let Edward talk about that one. <laughs> I saw it in the crowd in L.A. where that actually got a laugh, because uh, the idea was sort of that they're going along and they're whacking every conspicuous consumption, luxury car Range Rovers and BMWs and things like that, and skipping the Hyundais and the Chevys and things like that. And then we were going to have, I can't remember what we were going to have, and Brad and I were talking, and I just said, hey, let's, I said, I hate those new Volkswagen bugs. And he said, me too. So we said, let's put a Volkswagen bug in, and we asked Venture if we could just uh, throw that in at the end, because our spin on it, sort of vis-a-vis -vis all this other sort of generational war stuff that we were talking about earlier is that uh, if the Volkswagen bug was the ultimate symbol of sort of youth culture in the 60s or sort of the, the democratic car, the car for everybody, uh, now that the, that generation has sold out all those values and all become corporate advertising executives and repackaged the symbol of their own youth movement and they're reselling it to us. Brad and I were talking about it. We felt like the, the Volkswagen bug was a perfect example of, of our generation having 60s youth culture marketed to us as something we should aspire to, you know. Instead of our own car, we, we, we have to kind of, it's like repackaging Bob Dylan, you know. It's, it's from the generation that cannot understand Nirvana and doesn't understand why we don't just listen to all the good music that was playing in the 60s. So we figured we'd throw the Volkswagen bug in there just to whack on it. I'm telling you, I reversed my stance on the VW bug. You no. like it now? Yeah. You can't I thought, cave I thought on it was that a one. Great reworking of a classic good design. design. Yeah. yeah no, it, I'm not. Design. No, it's more. It's more the principle behind the thing. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's not, the whole flower power thing. You yeah. It's well. It's, it's the it's the flower vase molded into the dashboard now. You know and. It's just like it's the baby boomers selling us, selling us their youth culture. Selling reinvented and it's fun, and I've I've reversed myself. Okay, okay, I'm not cynical. It's it's June Kim. Wait, but let's go on this. If you notice in the background here, product placement, and whenever there's whenever there's product placement, there's also always violence, violence, somebody crying. This is a Pepsi product placement. Pepsi gave us these these vending machines that we put like everywhere. <laughs> They're always a Pepsi vending machine because we wanted to have that you know ubiquitous you know logo fest happening in the background always. But it's only in scenes of violence. Yeah, really horrible scenes of violence. And I think that's appropriate. I know where you live. If you're not on your way to becoming a veterinarian in six weeks. I went to the Cinerama Dome on the opening Friday night. What was that like? Stood in the back and watched it. It was a riot. Really? Yeah, it was a riot. It was a, a great crowd to see it in. Did you make up Run Fars Run? Well, that was you. That's, I know you, you said that, but I don't remember that. that. No, yeah. I think that was you. I think no, you, I I'm think sorry. that was you. That was you. I think you just did it. Did oh, that listen, I I'll take the credit or something? you want to give it. But no, that was your reference. His breakfast will taste better than yours. I was at a concert about two weeks after the movie opened. There and in other places, I've been have I've had people walk up and go. People walk up and, you know, doing sort of the the Fight Club or wink and walk up and go, excellent movie, sir. 
you know? <laughs> yeah. The ability to let that which does not matter truly slide. I always thought this scene, the push in on Tyler as he's, as he's sort of coming up with his, you know, doctrine, doctrine was, was, should have been the trailer. We're not your job. <laughs> yeah. The guy with his crotch in flames <laughs> saying, you're not your job, you're not how much money you have in the bank. Now, is this done CGI, essentially? This is just, yeah, we just, you know, Connie just wiggled oh, the camera. No, well, the camera, so obviously, the yeah, you, and the camera was being the shaken. And the in on the sides. So, right, so that's cgi the purse. Yeah. Right. Just so it like, looks like the film's coming out of the gate. But I do remember Connie you're shaking. You're fucking khakis. Conrad Hall, Jr. There is a, that's a, you know, that was our that's, gap reference. Yeah, that's lashing out at the gap. <laughs> Travis, well, you're now they're on leather, late. so. Are they? Yeah. You're not your leather. Okay. This is a, a scene, an important scene in their relationship, because this is where they're trying to have, at least this first time he actually begins a conversation or attempts to have some contact. But of course, it's completely at cross-purposes, because he thinks that she's having a relationship with Tyler, his best friend, and as we find out later, Marla is only having a relationship with him and doesn't know that Tyler exists. That's to say the person that she was sleeping with upstairs was the same person as Edward Norton in the kitchen. So that she's got into the habit, realizes that up in bed, he's fine with her. As soon as he gets to the kitchen every morning, he behaves very oddly and wants her out of the house. Now, to me, this was the scene where you know how we always talked about. Sure. I love this scene. That people, if people coming up and saying, "Oh, I, I figured it out. I knew what was going on," and you saying that you would say, you know, bullshit because there's nothing. It's not a mystery. There's nothing to have clued you into it. Yeah. This is the first scene I think where, conceivably, maybe, something an honest that. person could say, something weird is going on here. Yeah. Yeah. The shoe oh, is starting to drop. Us. These are two people talking at cross-purposes, that's to say, I mean, if you see the film to the end and then review it, you'll be able to work out that Marla is talking to her lover, i.e. when he refers to us, she has no idea who he's talking about because, to her, the only person that exists is Edward Norton's character, whereas, at this point, Edward Norton's character and, as well as the film viewers, think that Tyler exists. This. A complicated scene. What do you care about? It's so misleading at first viewing, so obvious at second viewing. And this is a sort of perfectly reasonable question to ask your boyfriend. And <laughs> he's outraged. <laughs> I just can't win with you, can I? I love how, like the film, the character, the narrator, our narrator, never has time to keep up. Yeah. He, we're always a step ahead of him. Too young. Right. What's all that? What? Right. If the applicant is young, tell me he's too young. Old, too old, fat, too fat. Applicant. I, it's funny. I read a thing, and I, I don't remember who it was. It may have been Amy Tobin or or. or. But they were talking about how 
they would have included Fight Club on their list of best movies if only the filmmaker's cardinal sin hadn't, hadn't been uh, violated. Yeah, which is you can't have two actors playing the same character. What book did that come from? I don't know. I, I read this and I thought, okay, well, that's the conceit for the movie. Um, you can so, have Peter Sellers playing three characters, <laughs> yeah. but not two characters, actors playing one character. Yeah, it was amazing to read, and I just thought, that seems a little... I'd have to think about that one. I'm not sure I think that's true anyway. I bet that that's been another film. For instance, Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin in all of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. How about that one? <laughs> but they weren't on the list either, so... No, exactly. They wouldn't have made Amy Tobin's ten best list. Get anyway. off the Sooner or later, we all became what Tyler wanted us to be. I'm gonna go inside and I'm gonna get a shovel. Like this. Coming out like MacArthur or something, some demented MacArthur. Sir. Two pair of black pants. Yes, sir. One pair of black boots. Sir. Two pair of black socks. Sir. One black jacket. Sir. Three hundred dollars personal burial money. I remember when we were shooting down in San Pedro and we had those um there's these great new lighting systems. Um, these, what are they called? The, the floating balloons? What are Lumiers? Oh, 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 yeah, there's yeah, these uh, helium balloons now with light sources on the inside of them that you can use to float them up and tow them around on a string and put them almost anywhere you want. And I had never seen those. I want one in my yard. Yeah. Yeah, they'd be great for a party, wouldn't they? Yeah. No more little, you know, because Chinese lanterns are such a cliche. <laughs> But remember, don't you remember the cops came? The, 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 the cops came by because the San Pedro Police Department got like three reports of UFOs. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah, know that. because we were uh, we had two of them. Remember, we had the bigger yeah. one and the smaller one floating up higher over the house there. Uh huh. And, and people thought it was a yeah. People, t a couple people called in. My my driver told me that uh, the Teamster started. guys told me that they. The, the, this, the San Pedro police guys who were just cruising by told smack. Yeah. This scene, I, I was first clued into Fincher's sadism. Yeah. It's harder. I want you to really smack him. Well, I just didn't want well, to. Well, it, have to, it know, is Ian. So. I didn't, I didn't want, want to have to foley a head slap. <laughs> Why not? Exactly. No. If we get one really good one, then we can use it for that. Vaughn, get out of here. The both of you. And so it went. We'd been, we'd been shooting all night long. Now, the sun had just came up, and we had to get this last little shot. And uh, just wanted to have that uh, kind of that Chinese propaganda rhetoric feel when they're driving around in the Jeeps and it's being blasted over the loudspeakers. So uh, you know, we, what we had to see was a lot of extras, so you run the megaphone all night. Yeah. So we borrow the megaphone, so it'd be... I like that, like a re-education camp. Yeah. Now, here's a really subtle clue. See, I'm, I'm carrying one of the green folders. Yeah. Exactly. And a camera. We threw this in just at the last minute. I, I, uh, I'm carrying one of the green folders that later are the files of the buildings are going to blow up. Because of course I've really been on this demolition expedition with these guys. But I'm coming in from having scouted the building. See, there's the green folder from 1888 Franklin Street. Hey, what's all this? <laughs> okay. And then I also uh, there's uh, there's a lot of little subtle things I like. Like watch. Watch Jared Leto's reaction to me. It's totally, a, it's a good reaction to Tyler. You know, he's like, oh, let me get those. See, oh, see, let, let, let me get those, sir, you know. But our narrator's got a whole nother thing going on. Right, but he's thinking. He's a guy who's he's been jealous, left out at man. Animal House. Oh, now here's, this is, um, Stuart will kill me if I don't say this, but yeah, he's been left out. But then, of course, when he says, what did you guys do? They think he's testing them. 
See how Stu almost laughs there? <laughs> Why? Because he was so excited that he did the no-look catch. Yeah. <laughs> he almost like broke up. Yeah. I just know, I know him, I've known him for such a long time. Like, uh, like you know, he kept trying, remember he kept missing? Yeah. And then finally he caught one, but when he caught it, he was so excited he started to smile, so he had to like bite it back. <laughs> Smiley face is CGI'd, right? Yep. Yeah, they wouldn't let us paint the outside of this building, so we had to like track this. What did you guys do? This artwork onto almost the shot's moving, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Oh yeah. No expense was spared. Uh, you must have had just like an open account with these guys or something, or do no. a lump sum. No, they charge you for every little thing like that. Yeah, no, it was it was can't believe it was brutal. Every little thing. I like this guy. He's so stiff. Streets will be safer. He was great. Though. Yeah, he was awesome. I know, he sounded I loved it was so believable. Too, so well, she was real. She's dead a real, on accurate. She's a real news reporter. Yes, but still. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's very real. I love the custom. Can you imagine if you looked... I know, tuxedo. can you imagine if you looked up and saw Bob waiting on you? I <laughs> feel <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I'll just have milk. Water, water. <laughs> Pat McNamara. Stuntman, right? No, no. I'm not happy about getting thrown around the bathroom. No, definitely uh, not. Oh, I thought he was a stunt guy. No, 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 but he signed up for one. I don't think he had any idea. We told him what the scene was, but I think he was truly shocked at how much abuse he had. Now that's where I busted <laughs> that's my rib. Really? Landing on the knee. Oh, you did the exact same yeah. thing. That's so funny. It was early in, the first couple of weeks. Now, remember when they threw that, um, that pot and it broke out the bottom of one of those sinks. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully no one at the Biltmore Hotel is listening to this. Man, these balls are ice cold. Fine. <laughs> I love how Brad's face comes in just as you enter the room. It's like, boom. Then he comes in to like, these guys are going to take the balls. They're going to send one to the New York Times, one to the L.A. Times press release. And I love the idea of the, of the uh, Look. militant group of waiters. <laughs> In Elvis wigs. <laughs> In Elvis wigs. Those are Clark Kent wigs. Is that what they are? Yeah. You can see in, on Holt McCallany on the right, his, his whole, he really has that Clark Kent. Wig. Right. Meatloaf in the back. His pants are down <laughs> around his ankles and he's pulling them up. But we couldn't find a take that was better. It was just a great take. Uh, nobody notices anyway. Anyway, Bob would be doing that. <laughs> yeah. It goes on and Pam. no one knows the difference. I like that shot. I always like that. That was slightly undercranked. A little bit, yeah. That, 40 frames. Or that like wrapping around me. Saying before the scene, 
if you break it right down, is, is much less like explicitly bloody or... I think one of the only reasons people thought this scene was as graphic as it was, because it's certainly no more graphic than any many a Rocky movie, is the sound. I think there's that, but I think it's also the context of it. I think yeah, it's, <clears> you yeah. know, the people say, you know, it's like the, the British film censors came back and said, you know, we find that the uh, that the scene where the like angel face gets beaten up just goes on a little too long. And it's like, well, that's the point. <laughs> the point of the scene is that you set up the he rules. He takes it of, too far. Yeah, the, you set up the rules of Fight Club, and you set up how people are supposed to react and what they're supposed to do, and this guy breaks the rules. And, and if and you notice, the people's reactions in the club seem to be thinking it's going on too long, too. Yeah, that's they're so. horrified. But, uh, but it's, And Rocky was fighting for Of aging. course. That's true. Yeah. Rocky, Rocky was, was fighting for democracy. Exactly. Yeah. You can I also that. think this little piece of spice you had to add in of Jared's face gurgling probably didn't help matter. <laughs> they didn't ask us to take that one out. Really? Yeah, it was just the punches. See, but I think watching it in this context without sound, I think a big part of what, I'm just saying, I think part of what makes the violence. The horror, yeah. There's that shot is the one I think that causes problems. But, but I think it's also just the sound, the impact. It's making it sound awful. awful. Airport parking, long term. After you, Mr. Great uh, clue there, though, because of the eye. Oh, when line. Owen gets out? Yes, says, when he, yeah, when he, he gets said, out. He dresses Tyler Durden, but he's looking he, at. He looks at me Edward. and says, For you, Mr. Durden. And then you say, and I say, After you, and you say, No, no, after you. Very pointed. Sexy. Now, if I remember, this is one of the first scenes that the studio wanted to cut, one of the main scenes, which yeah. to me is one of the backbones of the, the studio wanted film. to cut this scene? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, the car the car crash. Doesn't it just go on too long, doesn't it? Just... Oh, my God. It's one of the central things between the two of them. Yeah. There's also a good little... I, there's a thing you do in this I've told you that I like a lot, where when you say, like, you have to rethink what you know about life, about friendship, and definitely about you and me, which I think is... I always thought it was kind of funny, just because... There's also a great little laugh there. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. There's a little laugh to it yeah. that's... That's just sort of like, you don't even know how crazy you are. This is technically, this was fairly interesting because yeah, all of that, sound stage. this was on a sound stage with, and everything going by those windows is on a rear projection, but thrown, I mean, at least 40 yards there, yeah. right? I mean, that, that was being thrown from far, far away. It just looks so good, though. We learned our lesson on seven about like driving around with those yes, we rain, did, didn't we? <laughs> those fucking rain towers. It just did following a car. The sun no, in just and, uh, every time we turned a corner. Every time you turn a corner in the sun, you can never get anything to match outside, and you're constantly. Oh, so it's just we were like, okay, if we're gonna do this car thing, it's gonna be rear projection. No more of this like. You mean if you're gonna do it in the rain? Well, if you're gonna do it, it's just it's a nightmare shooting car stuff. I mean, this is subtle. It starts out like a little a guy jealous of his friendship or jealous that you know his, his dad's paying attention to the other brother or something I know we sort of very briefly explored possibilities of similarities between Tyler and Marla I mean they both certainly have a very particular dress style but um, both challenge the main character but uh, basically Tyler as he says is the character the person that he feels he wants to be Look at you. The man. Why? Why? What are you talking about? I love the seatbelts here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is a big scene. I can't even I can't even imagine I, I cutting can, this yeah. scene. 
I love these guys looking at each other like, this guy is seriously crazy. <laughs> yeah. What? Why is he ar arguing with himself? And he does loud. a great Brad Pitt imitation. All right, fine. Fine. I love this inside the inside the car. We've seen Rex how many times? Every other film. Vince wants to go inside the car. Let's experience a wreck from inside the car. So we. I know how a roast turkey feels from doing a shot. <laughs> right? Oh, we no. uh, no, I know how it maps. Like, here we go. Puts watch. It on a yeah, so half of a Lincoln Town car is up on a spit with us rolling around on the inside. With broken glass. With rubber glass. There, there it is flying around, which I swallowed at least a quarter pound <laughs> of. And Camera's airbags, and angle. airbags that it's can right. explode with, which, Side which, angles, which as we're rolling over and over, we can hear Fincher just going, fire, boom, and the airbags go off. <laughs> Again, wow. boom. One of the most beautiful sequences in the It's film. beautiful. It's I just can't order a rotisserie chicken sandwich anymore. You'll never go to El Pollo Loco again. No. I, I believe you squirted your pants on No, I did not. Now, see, here's another. Here, if anyone wants to truly get subtle, Brad is pulling me out of the driver's side there. No, I know. I, I was telling a story that when we, when we did the Dolby guy, came up to, like, you know, when they, oh, that's, that's they right. approved the whole thing. Dolby guy was... Found a mistake. Yeah, there's a mistake. Bummer about the continuity. Yeah, exactly. You guys should be aware that there's a continuity problem. And I was like, really? He said, yeah. And he pulls him out of the wrong side because he was the driver. Side. He pulls him out of the side of the driver's Stop, side. Yeah. And if Brad was the driver, I was like, huh. Well, you might want to wait a few reels. <laughs> You'll wear leather clothes. Last no, I love this. I'll cut like a dream. You'll climb the yeah, out of trying, trying to find that dreamlike thing because it uh, because otherwise, you know. When you look down, you'll see tiny. Listen, we got lambasted enough about uh, being preachy, but I love I love Tyler's vision of the world. I just well, you saved my ass here because it was a little. It was just it was a little flat, a little dead on, just drifting in and out. I think it just needed a little bit of that point of view of, you know, you're, you're that wooziness. You know, you've just been in a car right. wreck and somebody's kind of telling you this whole thing. Fading in and out of consciousness. You don't know what's subconscious, what is conscious. And then... Tyler? Tyler was gone. It's the first time you've seen Tyler's room, and it's all nice and neat. And Jack's broken heart. Was I asleep? And I slept. <laughs> Someone's been busy. All these human sacrifices. House had become a living thing. Wet inside. Remember how the guy who was getting slapped walked out on us? Yeah. What? The first Which, guy? By Evan? No, yeah. Because yeah, Evan was slapped. slapped by Evan was an extra, and he quit. He quit. <laughs> he was like, I'm not getting hit anymore, and he left. Yeah, good for him, man. Forty bucks a day. <laughs> That's a very obscure little line there. Do you know how much ether we've got in here? I figured that was Fincher's. I love Marla. I had a just. Um, I think she's a wonderful. There's, there's one key to her that we discussed earlier on was the fact that she had a big heart. She would have to have a big heart because she has to forgive Edward Norton's character time and time again. And I didn't want to have to be coming back to him out of a, you know, I didn't want that to spring from a victim or need for, I think she's self-destructive, but I don't think she, she is only self-destructive but on her own terms. 
and draws a line when others abuse her. Um, so the only thing I could operate was from, or the key to her was somebody that genuinely wanted to almost save or recognize in, in Edward's character, Tyler, or whatever you want to call him, that there was potential for a relationship and that he was frankly worse off than she was and that there was a sort of instinct to save him. So she's somebody who's intensely generous, strong, because she finally draws the line and goes for, I mean, opts for self-preservation, finally. Well, just before the end, that is, before she comes back to him. I think what helped me stay in the character or sort of like least sort of remind me of her was actually the accent. I think if you've got something as helpful as that, which is a sort of intensely physical, you know, sort of touchstone for the character, uh, as soon as you um, start speaking differently, you know, speaking with a different sound brings out a different part of you. And uh, I think that helped. And then you just sort of remind yourself. It depended on how much time one had in between... Um, and in fact, the scheduling when I asked right early on, in fact, had been done quite sh sensitively. That's to say that, on the whole, I was employed for blocks of time, like two weeks, and then I'd had three weeks off. So, in fact, it was made as easy as possible for me. It was a very actor-friendly shoot, and a lot of care and thought had gone into making you know our jobs easier. That Venice screening, you gotta admit, that was like, I that, thought that was, was surreal. Yeah, I was ready to take my own life after that. Oh, you, you we were, were much more so. Brad and I were ecstatic. But go on. No, no, I just remember, I, I just, I, I never thought, you know, we'd be carried out on the shoulders of the, uh, you know, the Venice audience. <laughs> don't get me, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, you know, but I remember sitting there and just going, you know, it was kind of like too serious an environment. It was too. Um, it was a film festival. Yeah, well, I've never been to a film festival, so so to me it was like I was expecting people to go, great, let's see somebody take some chances, and let's let's. And there was just this like, get them out of here, <laughs> get them on the next the boat. The yeah. I didn't feel that as intensely as you did. I thought there was. Fire. But what about next? What about the next day at the press stuff? Oh well, that was. But yeah, then we were you on the firing squad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that was hard. That but was, see, yeah. that was just a. I just felt that vibe carrying into the, yeah. the next day. This was, to be honest, this scene right here was, you know, in some of these very, I thought, glib and lazy critiques that were sort of throwing the word fascist around about this movie. I was like, if you ever wanted the one scene that that makes the critique of the whole thing explicit, it's this one, because the guys in black shirts and boots running around doing stupid things are such morons. You know, they're... they're they... But isn't that, isn't that the... The tenant of fascism. What? <laughs> exactly. Isn't that the first tenant of fascism? But but Corral but <laughs> exactly. But that's that's that's. The, I mean. But he's saying the narrator's point of view here. Yeah, the, it's so. Me. I mean, that's what I mean. Is that how could you look at that assortment of people <laughs> and call it pro-fascist? You know what I mean? It's no, it's, no. I never understood the pro-fascist thing. I mean, it's so obviously about what goes wrong when a bunch of frat boys start taking themselves too seriously, yeah. you know? When a, bu when, when a bunch of, like, uh, you know, undergraduate fraternity guys who have read a little too much Nietzsche start shaving their heads the same and wearing the same uniform. But the whole way that this morphs around him into this nightmare of sheep just chanting their lunatic, you know, ridiculous mantras of... of Durdenisms. Yeah, of Durdenisms, you know? It's like if you ever wanted a... I mean, it's, it's like Milos skewering the communists in the fireman's ball, you know what I mean? It's just like if you ever wanted to rag on the black shirts, the brown shirts, it's the best way to do it, I think. And I love how they build their rationale to support whatever they need to support. Yeah. 
Right, exactly. They take a cry of this is over and turn it into his name is Robert Paulson. Um, but it's that. really interesting Bitch, when you no. see um, when you see like Sorry. censoring type reactions coming from the left. You know, I mean, we experienced yeah, this on Larry Flint too a little bit with like um, Gloria Steinem writing this piece about the film. It's the same kind of response, and it's not coming from the kind of the censoring right wing. It's coming right. from the left, where they're saying. This disturbed me, therefore I declare it an invalid subject to have been made into yeah, a film, which is the that. most reactionary argument. It's like, you know... It's bullshit, man. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. It's really... Uh, Comes from the most surprising place. It's really regressive. Now, any critiques that we were getting against was always hitting, hitting the back end of our film. Which, to yeah. me, I can't see it going any other way. Well, again, I think it's when you start with a, a book that's that you, if you like the book. I mean, it, but it's, I, it's I don't think it was that. coming from people who, who read the book by any means. No, no, no. I think there's there's, an, take much there's often criticisms where where people say, you know, I I thought the story should go this. Love that shot. The one with the plane going over the head. We went. Remember, we went. Now I was completely envious. And we went and parked there, right under the landing pattern at LAX. <laughs> and we had a guy with binoculars. We had where we had the we had the tower telling us what kind of plane was coming in. Yeah. And Charles <laughs> would, ah. would go, "This is gonna be a big one." No, wait, that's power. Yeah. No, we were sitting there. No, well, we didn't have control over it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we were just just we were just wanting to know which. the 747s. Get all the small uh, stuff over on the other uh, runway. Yeah. We can't do that for you, sir. This to me was it's kind of like I, I didn't. I thought it could have used more finesse, but I wanted oh, to be it's more so kinetic. Oh, it's okay. very, it's very kinetic. It's definitely got that going for it. And these guys are it's such twits. Exquisite. But the, I think the people who assail the back half of the movie are working forward from the idea of well, what would they want to see? Where would they want to see this go? As opposed to working well, backward. I never from heard an answer though. I never heard an answer to that. No, but I think there were a lot of people who said, oh, well, the beginning is so original, and then it just, you know, becomes this, like, chase thing. But that's where the book goes, you know. So yeah. we're working backwards from what we really like this book. And I, like but I see, so much, I see right. so much more than that. Well, I'm not agreeing with them. Yeah. I saw some great thing one time about the, the number of critics who panned Raging Bull and had it on their 10 best films of the decade list at the end of the 80s. We tried to get, try to cast guys that look like they were in that picture of Robert Kennedy when he's lying on the kitchen floor right. at the Ambassadors. I love this guy. Who's he? This is Michael. He was a, uh, um, he was a guy that we found sort of late. And I think we wanted this somebody to. Yeah, we we wanted to find. Uh, we were trying to find a guy who could uh, pull off that sort of. You know, yeah, he's the Overlook Hotel. <laughs> right, Lloyd the bartender. What is, what is the Overlook Hotel? You know, in the, the Shining. shining. Oh. It's good to have you back, sir. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, kind of get that. He's just like so stoked. He's do you remember not going to give anything. Do you remember how the the, uh, the screws in his head weren't holding to his head? Yeah, so he kept screwing them in tighter. So he kept making it tighter and tighter on his head until, yeah. until he's well, slurring you, his lines. Until <laughs> <laughs> his foot went to sleep. Three inches in his frontal lobe. No, his personality was, changed about halfway through the shooting. <laughs> no, we, he, he, as he would move, you'd see the halo kind of like wiggle, and it was like, well, we got to get that tighter, we got to get that tighter. So they were in there with the Makita. I like this Helena hair. Mm -hmm. This is her, her Satan. Yeah. Her two horned. The two horns are Satan. Do you want to know if I think we're just having sex or making love? We did make love. Is that what you're calling it? 
Just answer the question, Marla, please. Did we do it or not? You fuck me, then snub me. You love me, you hate me. You show me a sensitive side, then you turn into a total asshole. Is that a pretty accurate description of our relationship, Tyler? We have just lost cabin pressure. What did you just say? What's wrong with you? What did you just call me? Say my name. Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden, you fucking freak. What's going on? I'm coming over. No, wait, wait, Marla, I'm not there. You broke your promise. Jesus, Tyler. You fucking talk to her about me. Tyler, what the fuck is going on here? I ask you for one thing. One simple thing. See, this is when Tyler becomes an alien. I hope he comes back. You know, I like it as he comes back as like Bono. Like, you know, yeah. he comes back as Bono. Rockstar. Like Michael Hutchins. He comes back. As, I love the idea of Tyler Durden returning as a rock star. I've been out in the world, I've been thinking about some uh, new things. I think you do. These are my new accessories <laughs> the glacier glasses. See, I always saw it turning it more into a monster. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he, I think that's what I thought too. He's kind of turning into a monster. I love this. this you know, this stuff is great. Flashbacks. And what'd you do? Would you? Are these like skip frames? Like skip frames? Frame? this shit out. I think Jim Haygood figured this out. He came uh, in one day because we had sort of done this fragmented thing. And I love he, that look. And he said, you know, I think I can get these down really, really short. And, and so I came back into the editing room and he showed me this thing. And I was like, that's pretty cool. It's so cool. Because it's like, it, it still encompasses, instead of saying if you have A to if you have A to Z to go to, it still says we're going to go A to Z, but we're going to skip letters along the way. Yeah. So a to you, M to Z. So you still cover the front point to the end point, but you get there as fast as but it's you more, may yeah, have to short. As, as you know? The mind would work, too, and you get uh, Skipping flashbacks, the process, you yeah. get images, you get moments. But and whatever I was doing, we had to stick Edward in, not knowing what was going to be needed for the flashbacks. They don't yeah. Just run with it. Naturally, you're still wrestling with so sometimes you're still you. We should do this again sometime. Other times you imagine yourself watching me. If this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Little by little, I'm just letting you In this scene, I was nervous that if at least once we weren't explicit, Yeah. you know? If you didn't step outside into an objective perspective at least once. Yeah. You know, because we, we knew we were going to do it with the, uh, the security video. Right, exactly. Later. This could be a good setup for that. But but if you didn't, I mean, even though he's saying it very explicitly, I love the look on the <laughs> yeah. face there. Am I having <laughs> sex with Marla? Oh my God, I am having sex with Marla. <laughs> it's it's the guy it's the guy who's looking back on it actually in the moment, going, yeah. "Huh? Is this me? What what are you saying? This is this is bullshit. This is bullshit. I'm not listening to this. You are insane. No." You're insane. And we simply do not have time for this crap. See, I was most worried about when the nickel drops, if we were going to pull this off. And I was and nobody I'm most happy with watching it again. Really? And you, I, th you thought it was going to be a problem? Well, I, no, I, was, I was just hesitant. Yeah. I remember when we were working in the office, you were very skeptical of um, the detailing of how the thing worked, having Tyler say, sometimes... You're watching your, me. Sometimes That's you're watching right. you. You were That's sort of right. saying, like, do we really want to get that uh, explicit? Explicit, but well, I think I've been it in, worked out well. Yeah, I've, it's, it's non flashbacks, what that is. I love the, the phone number. The Deathly FCAA. worried about exposition. Is that what it is? Was yeah. it really? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't he's know. Calling, he's been calling Brian Lord all night. I wouldn't know. I'm not a slave to those punks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Deja vu. All over again. Yeah, with enough soap, we could blow up just about anything. Love that. What's always... wild about those sequences is, is uh, it does change, you know, it's like you need very, very little. The truth is, and maybe it's just the more and more we're used to these, you know, being presented with images that are streaming across our capacity for, you know, shorter and shorter images is increasing. But you, you, you realize you can see things. I mean, that can't be more than, you know, that can't be more than, Right that's got to be less than 24 frames worth oh, of yeah. stuff that you're oh, seeing yeah. there, and you're picking it up. You get you, it. You absolutely get it, you know? Excuse me? Don't worry about us, sir. We're solid. 2160. Mala! Mala! Hey! Remember original premise of borrowing from the Buddhism? And the Under that, I see no other ending. Yeah, no, I, I, again, but, but we're starting from a place where we're trying to support where that we want to take this journey and a lot of people are oh, watching a movie based on they like oh well, I like this moment I'd like to see it go here but right. it doesn't so uh, fuck again I never heard of here <laughs> yeah a specific here yeah oh, me either. that's uh, Ed, from Ed Kowalczyk <laughs> from live in his first film cameo whatever he's really came back twice right because we redid this this is when I always feel, well, not that I've seen the film that many times, but feel faintly relieved we got to, because I feel like well, at least the audience on my side now, at least they they know Marla and uh, finally see me for what I am. I am somebody who's been having a relationship just with one person rather than, and with him, not a f uh, not Tyler or Brad. I've come to So we can sort of appreciate her predicament. The full extent of our relationship wasn't really... There's a good little, um, I, I do like when she says you're, fan you're great in bed. <laughs> a little wince, like, oh. I always wanted to get that in from, first, from the first draft of the script where she was talking about all the things that she liked about him. I was like, she's got to say that he's... Just, yeah, I know, you used to always say that. You're spectacular. And he's just like, huh? oh, God, I hate, why did you, if only he hadn't said that, it would have made... <laughs> I was feeling so romantic. <laughs> What? See, I always thought, um, I mean, you know, I can't remember when we were talking about it, but we were talking about sort of the, it is sort of the real, like this scene is all about the realization that, at a certain point, the realization that like, okay, this has all been really sexy and stuff, but I don't want to, I, I don't want to be an uncompassionate person, you know, or I don't, if it's going to involve the hurting of somebody I actually secretly kind of like, then that's the point at which the whole thing kind of shifts for him, you know? Yeah, got to draw the line. But it's well, I think that, and I think that's part of what does it is, it's not just the plot, it's that basically Tyler says, we might have to take care of Marla. Yeah. That becomes the line, it becomes the line that Jack is saying to himself, that's, okay, I can define myself by saying, that's not a line I want to go across, Right. you know? There's the seven years in Tibet sign on the, <laughs> and in the distance was uh, Larry if the Flynn. bus wasn't there. You'd see the people versus Larry Flint and the wings of the dove. Now I want um, I want the outtake where the bus hit me. 
<laughs> you want to put that in the DVD? Yeah, can we put that on the DVD? We can try and find that. The, the, I think there's an element of cruelty to that. That. Uh... Do you remember? Do you remember it happening though? Yeah. Did it mean, just kiss you? Did not no, no, no. It, it came in and and I I became aware that it was coming harder at the later <laughs> point and I just too late. All I too put late. my hands out. So fortunately, it hit my hands, but it made us. And then I jerked back, but it made a sound. Fincher, I turned around right after it hit me and. and and Fincher was up over the monitor just with his hand over his mouth. But the, but the hilarious thing whiter. is that the, that when it happens, when you hear this thud, and I looked up, I could hear over my over my comm set, I could hear the wireless on Helena, and she immediately bursts into laughter. She just like immediately starts cracking up. And That's I was comforting. like, yeah, it's a, there's, there's a good sign. It's like Helena just laughing her ass off. I love her last line there, just... <clears throat> uh, uh, you're the worst thing that ever happened to me. How many times have we wanted to say five that? Or six other now, is it true that um, the, is it true that these left. cops, these three cops, are named Andy, Kevin, and Walker? On, on the, oh, on the credits. Because the Writers Guild wouldn't wouldn't let. We've been through this so many times with the Writers Guild. Whenever, because Andy rewrote the game, and they wouldn't. The Writers Guild will not even. You can't even. Put, yeah, you can't even put special thanks to, or, you know, it's a it's a guild thing. So we spaced it on the on the title. Makes no girl. sense to me. What I, mean, I mean, his contribution was so huge. The, yeah, but don't get me started on the Writers Guild. But um, so we decided to bury his name, and it so it's Detective Andrews, Detective Kevin, Detective Walker. <laughs> that was our way of getting his name on the. Erase the debt record. Now Real act of sedition. You'll create total chaos. Where did we shoot this? We shot this downtown, right? Yeah, we shot this at the uh, the Unical building. Downtown LA. That was a long day. I originally thought this was going to be much simpler, but it was obvious, and we started blocking it. That it was Ain't just that the way it goes? Always. So much, there was a lot of coverage. You're a brave man, sir. You said if anyone ever interferes with Project Mayhem, even you. <laughs> He's beautiful. It's useless to fight. This is really a powerful gesture, Mr. Durden. It'll set quite an example. You're making a big mistake, fellas. You said you'd say that. I'm not This was a scene a lot of critics had a hard time with. Oh, I think it's so funny. Yeah, me too. I, I always thought it was funny. I always laugh at it. Like, yeah. Skirt the issue, but a lot of people thought, oh, global. that could never happen. That could never. It's like not the police. It, but the whole point is that it's it's, it's a absurd. nightmare. Yeah, it's, it's an a nightmare. Out of your it's, mind, I, mean, I mean, if you're gonna get realistic, do khaki pants come off over wingtips? You know, <laughs> you know no. But but <laughs> right here, right, right when you start s struggling again, and uh, yeah, the best part know. is that he's silent though. I yeah. love that he stays quiet just because like, they tell him to. Yeah. Shut and then up. as soon as it shuts, the door shuts. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> that was my chance to be saved. I like it when Van picks up this knife again. I was so worried, even though this was a fake knife. It was still like, it's still incredibly sharp on the point. And he's, your right. legs are wrestling, you know, yeah, constantly yeah. moving around. I thought oh my God, he's going to get stabbed in the kneecap. This is this my is favorite ad lib in the movie. And my favorite ad lib of my own. I don't know, but you did that in the rehearsal, and then we were like, we got to keep that. And then, of course, it was like trying to talk everybody into it. You can't say that sound. That's stupid. Like, no, it's so I ran out the door. I ran out the door and came around the corner, and Fincher and Dina were both laughing. Our script supervisor. I was like, I think I'm onto something. I just love you.
your schizophrenic partner set you up me right to there. be castrated. I know. <laughs> yeah. He said You said you'd up. say that, sir. You definitely said you'd say that, sir. I think that's a pretty good match between you and Damon. Yeah, he's only in there for one of those shots. He's in there for that one. Yeah. That's the one where I tried to loop going, sorry, 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 sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, now how'd you slow that down? We did this thing with this, you know, Panavision box that allows you to change the you the dial it stop and the and the camera speed at the same time, so we could go from regular nice speed touch. to mon frere. Thank you very much. I love this, this shot too. This is a great shot. This this one comes all the way across from the running, lands there, whips over there, comes back, and goes to the trash can and away. Well. Wow. Yeah. Well choreographed. It's great. I love that one. My brother came to visit in this next scene where we hook up. And he goes, why is Norton in his underwear? I said, because uh, he just he was about to get castrated. Well, then why are you in the buffalo robe? Oh, well, because I'm him. Well, then why are you? And it was just, he couldn't explain it. Come on, then. I got us a great place to watch from. It'll be like pay-per-view. <laughs> that was one of those shots where you well, push it, where why? you push it, and it hits the glass. Right. It was one of those things where we were trying to figure out a way to make Brad disappear in the background. We were going to do it in the cut. And then when he saw it on the tape, it was like, oh my God, he covered Brad perfectly for the end of this. When he bends over, Brad's completely obscured, so we can now cut to this other thing. It's one of those little huh. moments of happenstance. Serendipity. Yes. Happiness. Happy accident Bigger is our all friend. And this was one of those scenes that we ended up. I, I, I was always worried about how this was written, but I liked the way it played. It played much better. I, I did too. You remember that night? I had a problem yeah. with this one that night. I wanted to put, just kept trying to muck it up. You know, it was the only time he yelled at me on the whole shoot. You yelled at him? Yes. <laughs> well, I was just, I love you, you, no, you guys were talking, and, and I, I, I didn't even really have an idea. I was just coming over to hear what was happening, and as I stepped towards you, you went, you went, just give me a second, just give me a second. Just shut up. And I, and I, just, I just turned around and went back and sat on the Don't bumper. Don't speak. <laughs> no, but looking at you, you're dead on right. The, but the it was simplistic one of those things, it's, uh, it's, it was tough. tact was dead on. But I love that it was one of those things when you saw it from the front seat and you saw the thing play out in the two shot, you were like, yeah, this could work, this could work. And I love the fact that it's a, you know, diffuse the bomb scene that's not so much about the bomb. It's always about this, like, all this stuff. Right, oh, right. Well, wait a minute. Think about this. Well, how'd you do that? Was that, is that CGI? CGI? That is, God, man, it looks really good. Nice, nice, very nice. Thank you. Because I always find myself in those movies where people have to defuse a bomb, really not giving a shit. Because you know they're going to defuse yeah, it. Yeah. Okay, you 
are now buying a gun if you're an imaginary friend. And I always loved this take. There was a that that I, I never sort of I always thought him of Tyler. You know, he, he he gets shot at and he gets pissed off, but he's like still trying to explain. And then when you did that thing where you just like lost it. God damn <laughs> it! Can't we've been through this enough. Yeah. How many times do I have to go over this thing? <laughs> this is a great no. shot. How many times do we do this? How many times did I endure this shot? Three or four. No. <laughs> Try 14 or 15. The ones where we did the with the whip pan where you clothesline me. I was trying to think where did the this was a tough couple Bruce days Lee on me. It was there at the top. Slash parody slash tribute. It was there at the top. You took it out after the Matrix. You mean the because no 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 like just that. the whole karate thing that we this oh, that monster was, that we. I couldn't you remember. You started doing that. You just started doing just started it doing in rehearsals. You started becoming Bruce Lee, and you were like, "Why on?" Huh? I love it. <laughs> these, these, did we shoot the, the trailer. two days? In, yeah, two, two days, right? Well, yeah, we ended up not, not having a lot of time. We only had two days in this thing to shoot it, this so we were tough. just like barely. A lot of these hits I took for real. Except for that one, Damon got the face first. Yeah, but I got the which wall. I love a, a guy I got splinters in my hand from the truck. I got the glass in the knees. I hit. I hit my head on the underside of the car. This one didn't feel so right. good. Genius. This hurt a lot. This was this was the shot right here. <laughs> Remember we did this one like 37 times, and Brad finally <laughs> refused to I do it because he gave out. Look and at that it. was me. All right. Yeah, that was you. <laughs> All right. Now the stunt guy here. Yeah, I've no never pads been on the legs. I've never been more scared than watching that guy. Because we watch. He does the first time. Everyone's amazed. He goes down. Those those stairs are hard. Everyone's <laughs> clapping, and then we just hear it once again. I, and he I did it. This one we were aware eight of. times. No, he's a really, 12. Really, truly 12? No. sadism. Well, but I gotta say. And what take did you use? <laughs> he's take number one. No. I did. Okay, <laughs> I hope he never gets <laughs> it. I love the argument at the end. I always, I, I, I love the fact that he makes him take responsibility. I think. Yeah, that so was great. Good. We kind of struggled with the scene in the doing of it. I say we got it. Well, it's, it's good because it, there's so many things that need to be kind of like... Covered. We, yeah, we need to like have done the legwork to be able to say, okay, this is this is what his responsibility is to it. This is what his responsibility is. This is where he's going. And uh, I love the fact that Tyler's just waiting for him to finally kind of like go, okay, bravo, do your thing. And he never does. And Tyler just gets more and more kind of frustrated right. with him. I've thrown you down the stairs. I've smashed your face into a mirror. When are you just going to like give, give up? up? Yeah, but that and that's what I'm. That's what I was saying. There was the uh, the thing to me that the the distinction that he's drawing here that he hasn't drawn in the rest of the movie. He hasn't drawn the line and said no when it's ratcheted up into other people, when it's ratcheted up into blowing things up, when it's ratcheted up into the commissioner. He hasn't really drawn the line over any of those things. He really draws the line when Tyler says we have to do something about Marla. Yeah, it's pretty much on that point that he says no. That's I choose not to be that, and in that, I define myself as separate from you. Yeah. You know, and I want to claim myself back from you because I acknowledge that I do care about her. And in some ways, the thing about that is, Kill the to teacher. me, go on. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just saying. I think it's good that he. Uh, I mean, I, I like that he, in essence, you know, he, because something gets revealed in it, which is really, in some ways, for all of Tyler's philosophizing and all of his seduction of ideas, in a lot of ways, all Jack was really looking for out of Tyler was. Uh, some kind of an intimacy, you know, which is the source of the conflict between them in the car there, because he's saying, I thought this was about our us. thing. Yeah. He's saying it's not about us. And once Tyler's moved away from him, and once Marla gets explicitly threatened, I think it's like he transfers his desire for connection back over to where it should have been in the first place, maybe. Well, I you think know? there's that, and I think there's numerous other elements. Just like, 
but you can control your own life. You don't have yeah. to be washed around. And... See, the thing is, though, finishing up what I was saying about hers, I, I, the thing is, I always wanted, I always, I always, be, this is the first time in the movie I believe him when he says he's, when he makes any kind of claim about himself. You know, when he says like, I, I'm really okay. I think he actually means it. He means it. You know, I think he had to, he had to blow up the world to do it, but he figured something. And some out. hydrogen peroxide. You guys saw the cut pretty much at the same time, the first cut. No, no, Brad saw. You got to see one before I did. I came. I saw one. I came back. Uh, for the Oscars in March, and I saw your first cut on a and the video pr projector. projected here at Fox. a video projection of it, yeah, and uh, and it was it was probably like two hours and forty minutes, maybe. Yeah. Does that probably. sound about right? Two thirty-five. Yeah, like, what's it down to? What was it's it? Like two fifteen. I mean, four minutes of titles of that, so it's two nineteen all in, which is I don't know. I mean. We, you know, got a lot of flack for it being too long. I, I hardly think that's a long movie. Yeah, I don't. I just don't. What was it? I think Peter Bart wrote in Variety saying something like... Recently? Yeah. Why Why is it that a movie like this has to be um, two hours and 15 minutes when it's just a kind of your run-of-the-mill thriller? <laughs> and it was like... Huh. Uh, yeah, I read that. He sort of, he sort of talked about it. He said, he said even... He, he, I don't think he specifically said this. He said even your... Your action movies or your run action movies are clocking. Oh in yeah, you're, you're are clocking in it over. Oh, screensaver. <laughs> yeah, we were gonna. We were, it was one of the one of a screensaver. We were gonna do a, the gun going off. Wait, watch the watch the watch the smoke ring. Watch the smoke ring. We were gonna do this. Do do we, the uh, gun going to. off in your mouth as a screensaver. What's that smell? Look at that smoke ring. I love I've it. Never in my life been able to do that. There's a tribute to Gary Oldman. The Gary Oldman death scene. No one dies better than Gary. Now, this is one of the first times I actually did not care what anyone thought. Really? Because I was so no, I didn't ecstatic either, honestly. With, with the final product, what we were shooting for, and what was there, and was beyond expectations. It's what I wanted to see. I just did not care. I understood that uh, be a lot of people that had problems with it. It was dead on for me, so I absolutely Yeah, I didn't think. I was unfazed. I, I was uns... I would not have thought... When we set out to do it, I probably said to many people at some points, I said, you know, if we get even 70% of the feel of this up there, it'll be pretty wild now. And let's not forget, you had just many people on the other side going, this is the most original, phenomenal thing I've seen. In no, no, so, I mean, we definitely got our I mean, we don't, we don't concentrate stuff. on that. Oh, I wouldn't. Much. Yeah, no, I mean, if you're going to talk that, pure critical, right? just fixate on the evil. <clears throat> it's amazing, because when you watch this movie, when you watch this scene, especially with a younger audience, they they actually laugh at the absurdity of a guy who shot himself in the mouth. And still talking. And, and there's a real defining, like, age barrier. And there's people uh, over a certain age who just go, fuck you, you can't do that. Right? That's yeah. just awful. I remember having a long discussion with Finch about this scene um, where I come back and he's basically got a lot of explaining to do since he's just betrayed my trust yet again by putting me on a bus of, full of space monkeys. I'm pretty angry, as you can see. And then I, I, I said, oh, well, I don't want to go all Florence Nightingale on him, given what he's just done. But he said, well, don't underestimate what it's going to look like. And, it, and the makeup was pretty realistic. But of course, when I first saw it, I was really appalled. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's, it's so deliberately ironic and it's sort of in joke. Is that in fact, this is 
19th century city that they're blowing up. Oh, I love the pixies coming in. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that, that, was, that was a great piece of music. And also, after all the uh, the Dusties techno vibe, and we've been all around the world with the Dusties, and then just come in with this raw guitar. And... See, I, it's great because it's a great um, millennial, uh, like, we'll meet again at the end of Strange Love or something, you know? And then quality control. Uh, Did you know that there's oh. a six frame slice of, splice of a penis what? at the end? <laughs> You're kidding. How <laughs> it lives on. I gotta say, kudos to Fox. You know, they really did. Yep. They totally backed us. Yeah, I think when, in fact, well, that did. first time, the first time that I saw your first long cut of it or whatever, I, uh, you guys weren't there. Andy was there, and we walked out. We were kind of standing out in the bright sunshine on the Fox lot, and and the f and neither of us said anything for a while. And the first thing Andy said was, he went, he went, you know, my immediate reaction. He said, my immediate reaction to that is that the most amazing thing about it is that it ever got made at all. Yeah, but I still think I, know, I will give I'll give them <laughs> I will give them credit too in saying that I feel that all the major people involved uh, from the studio stand by the fact that they believe they made a, a really great film out of it. You know, I, I don't think any of them backed off the. No, never, not once. The idea that it was, it was, it was That's good. Sweet. Specifically, mechanic, Bill Mechanic, yeah. and, and the battles on this thing, the marketing battles, to try to keep this individualized and support what the film is, instead of, you know, falling into some kind of, uh, like selling it like some silly movie that's been done a million times. I mean, even with, when this thing came out, and hold your thought, but when this thing came out, I knew there was going to be flack and. And, uh, you know, I had this idea, I mean, you look back at, like, clockwork and these films that are in your favorite stack of, of lasers or DVDs and what they did opening weekend, it's pretty much par for the course, but I'm still, on the other hand, I had this idea in my head that, uh, that it would, it would find its life now, that, that it was, it was apropos and it was, and people were ready for it. And, uh, so there was always, there was still a little surprise and disappointment uh, on that level, but on the other hand, I go, well, that's what I expect. I knew that. I knew yeah. that going in. And the thing I always hang on to is when we first sat down with this thing, you talked about, and you, you weren't so much talking about this one specifically, but you said you're interested in making films that are going to be around in 20 years, that, that have a life, that it, and, uh, I mean, time will tell, but I, I think that's what, exactly what we've done here. Who's it in memory of? Scott Mackle is the title designer. He went on a trip to South America and he got some kind of viral infection wow. in his lungs and he died. And Raymond was a, um, a development guy at Fox who found the book and gave the book to Laura Ziskin and died shortly after that. Oh, wow. Really wanted to see it made into a movie and never did. <laughs> <laughs>